Shabbat Shalom. Whether you've realized it or not, you've just tuned in to the Diaspora of Yasharel, an online congregation and an extension of the community here at the Unexpected Cosmology. My name is Noel. I am once again excited to be joined by Rob and Michael. And tonight we will be continuing our series from the Hebrew Gospel of John, or Yochanan in Hebrew, chapters 8 and 9. We'll get straight to it, but first, if you are following in YouTube land, and let's face it, you most likely are, then I kindly ask that you like and subscribe. Also consider joining our Discord community. It's where we're having this conversation tonight, and where... Um, and also where I host my Thursday night groups. So let's start our night out in prayer. Yahuwah, Most High Elohim, Father of Spirits, the I Am, self-existent and eternal, thank you for opening our eyes and showing us the truth. The seeing eye and the hearing eye comes from you alone. There are so many mysteries which derive from the heavens, but they are all worthless if they don't lead us to your instructions in righteous living, as well as your son, Yahushua HaMashiach, who showed us how to walk them out. We love you and seek to be obedient to you, recognizing that it is only because you first loved us. We love your Torah, which is your instructions in righteous living, because they are a mirror reflection of your character. Everything Yahushua said or did, as we have learned in the Hebrew Gospel, he heard or learned directly from you in the highest heaven, and we want to be more like him. Teach us to walk in his footsteps. May we be teachable, always seeking out the leaven in our lives. We pray these things in your name, in the name of your son, Yahushua HaMashiach, and the Ruach HaKodesh. Amen. Okay, I'm going to turn it over. Before we actually start our reading tonight, I wanted to turn it back uh, quickly over to Michael, uh, and we're going to do a quick, uh, for anyone who was following last week's, when we did chapters 6 and 7, um, Michael's just going to do a quick little um, a little briefing on some things, something that was, went kind of unexplained last week. So Michael, over to you. Yes, um, real quick, this is to answer the jump off uh, earlier than usual last week, and she asked about the Salt Covenant that we talked about that was in the Hebrew. It wasn't in the Greek. Um, and it, you know, it talks about the salt covenant in the um, old Testament. So first I, I just want to read um, what Yeshua said in the Hebrew, John, and then we can go from there. It shouldn't take more than a minute or two. Um, Yeshua answered and said to them, I, I did one work three and all of you marveled because of this. Moshe gave you the covenant of circumcision, not that the word was for Moshe, but from the fathers. And on the Shabbat, you circumcise men. If a man goes into a covenant of salt on the Shabbat, and he does not loosen himself, is the law of Moshe destroyed? Why are you angry at me? Because I heal everyone on the Shabbat. Therefore, do not judge according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, I'm not saying what I'm about to say is the, you know, the exact fact on everything. It's just something that I kind of saw, and I wanted to give my, my take on it as well. So um, some scholars, and you guys should know this as well, point out that salt was used as a preserving element. It was added to meat to help help it stay fresh longer until the priest could eat it. Others point to the prohibition of eating meat containing blood. Salt was applied to the offering after it was killed and skin removed to aid in the removal of the blood from the carcass. Salt was therefore seen as a cleansing, cleansing or purifying agent as well. So basically <clears throat> what I'm going to add to this is 
the covenant of salt was given to David and also the Levites. And you think about those two positions, those are kings and priests. And that's what Melchizedek is. So Yeshua is the Melchizedek king priest. Um, so basically the both times, yeah, like I said. So basically, what, in my opinion, the covenant of salt, what he is saying is if you are doing kingly or priestly duties on the Shabbat, then that is okay. Um, that's the covenant of salt that lasts forever. And that's what we're supposed to be. That's what we'll be resurrected as. Hopefully that answered, give you something. I just thought it was interesting that both times it was given was to the king and to the priest. And Yeshua just happened to be both. So, um, now I'm going to give it off to Rob. I think he's going to read chapter 8, 1 through 30. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I will uh, I'll start here in Yokanan, chapter 8, 1 through 30. And Yeshua went to the Mount of Olives, and the next day in the morning he came into the sanctuary again. So all the people came unto him, and he sat and taught them. Then the scribes and the perishim brought a woman to him, whom they caught in adultery, and said to him, This woman was caught in adultery. Now the law of Moshe commands us that she should be judged by stoning. But what do you say about this? Now, they were tempting him in order to take counsel against him. So Yeshua bowed down and wrote something on the ground with his finger. But then they continued asking him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is found without sin among you cast the first stone on her. Then he kneeled again and wrote something on the ground. So when they heard this, they all departed from the place, one after another, starting with the leaders, and in the meanwhile, Yeshua was left alone. Then Yeshua stood up and said unto the woman, Where are they who bore witness against you? Did no man punish you? So she answered, Adon, here, are, here no stone was thrown after me. Then Yeshua said to her, Neither will I punish you. Go and stop sinning from now and onward. And Yeshua said, I am the lamp of the world. Whosoever comes after me will not walk in darkness and gloom, but he will indeed have life. Then the perishim said, You do witness of yourself, and from your own mouth your witness is not true. Yeshua answered and said to them, Even though I do witness of myself, it is true, because I know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, but I do not judge any man according to the flesh. For when I judge, my judgment is true, because I am not alone. For I and the Father who sent me, we are Echad. And in your Torah it is written that the witness of two or more is true. I am he who does witness for myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness for me. So they said to him, Where is your father? Yeshua answered and said, You do not know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would perhaps know my father as well. Yeshua Mashiach spoke these words at the treasury, teaching in the sanctuary. But no man laid hold of him, because his time had not yet come. So Yeshua said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, but you will not 
but you will die in your iniquity. You are not able to come to the place where I am going. Then the Yadim would have killed themselves. So he said to them, You are from the lowest things, but I am from the highest things. You are from this world, but I am not from this world. Because of this, have I told you that you will die in your iniquities unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your iniquity. Then they said to him, You? Who are you? So Yeshua answered and said to them, The Ancient One who speaks many things unto you, and speaks to you, and judges. But you, but he who sent me, is true. And I, the words which I hear from him, them I speak in the world. But they did not realize that he told them, that El is his father. So Yeshua said to them, After you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will realize that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. Only as the Father teaches me to speak these things, and he who sent me is with me, and he does not leave me alone, because I do those things which are pleasing to him. All the time that he was speaking these words, many believed in him. Okay, Mike, Michael, do you have anything to add to that? Or... Sure, yeah, not too much um, on the first half. Um, the first one is on verse 6. Um, a lot of people, they, they're just, there's just no answer. Everybody's wondering what he's writing on the ground. So um, I'm going to read uh, the Greek and the Hebrew. This they said, tempting him, that they might accuse him. But... Well, um, until Michael jumps back in, I'll go ahead and uh, start giving some observations on this, and then he could jump in at any moment. One of the things about this specific passage that I, um, I, I was a little nervous going into the Hebrew Gospel of John because I was thinking that this story wouldn't be here. It, most people will know that this is the story of the of the woman caught in adultery. It's highly controversial, not because of the content, but because the uh, I'll do a little bunny ear quotes here. If you can see this, my little uh, Richard M. Nixon bunny ear quotes. Scholars will say that the oldest text do not include the story, and that this was added later. Uh, so when we finally and there was so there were some things that we have read in past chapters that were different, like, uh, you know, uh, Yahusha uh, was not the word in chapter one. He was the son of Eloah. Uh, the, the, the angel that stirred the pool in last week wasn't there. But I was just thrilled to see this story here. Michael is back. I'm going to hand it over to Michael again. Um, yeah, I was that adulterous woman passage, but I think I'll do it there. Um, I was talking about, I don't know what you guys heard, but I was talking about um, what he was writing on the ground. In verse 6, um, I'll just read the Hebrew. Now, they were tempting him in order to take counsel against him. So Yeshua bowed down and wrote something on the ground with his finger. You know, a lot of people have, you know, there's age-old questions, debates on what he was writing. Um, my take on that is um, Jeremiah 6, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17, 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away will be written in the dust. For they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of the living water. So for me, that my, my dog in the race is that he was just fulfilling that prophecy of riding Israel in the dust who have, a, who have abandoned him, the fountain of living water. 
Um, I have one other comment and then one other cross-reference. So number 12, um, and, Yeshua, and this is, you know, we love this one. It's pretty much in every John thing we study here. And Yeshua, I am the lamp of the world. Whosoever comes after me will not walk in darkness and gloom, but he will indeed have life. If we went back to the first episode that we did, John 1, I talked about darkness and gloom being in two times in the in the uh, Tanakh, uh, talking about uh, the day of the Lord. And so this is basically saying that if if you are walking in darkness, you basically, you're done. So you need his lamp to have life. Um, but what I wanted to cross-reference is 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua his son cleanses us from all sin. So that, you know, everybody knows that verse, First John. That's a big, big uh, <clears throat> chapter in Torah communities, but I just want to highlight that again um, about walking in the light and following him, fellowshipping with him. And then finally, just I don't have an answer for this, but I'm gonna. This will be a good transition. Um, number twenty-two um, in the Greek. Then said the Jews, "Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whether I go, ye cannot come.' So it's the Jews asking or talking rhetorically, is Yeshua going to kill himself? But in the Hebrew, it says, "Then the Yehudim would have killed themselves." To me, that that sounds suicidal almost. Um, I don't have an answer for that. It's totally different. Is it an idiom? Possibly an idiom. Um, so I'll leave it at that with the first part, and I, I guess we'll give it off to Noel. Thank you. You're muted, Noel. That's because I'm I'm deciding to do the mime hands tonight. Um, so yeah, that that was actually really confusing. And and Rob, Michael, and I during the week we always talk about. You know, we kind of joke in, in our first five weeks about how we steal each other's thunder. Well, that was exactly what I was going to comment on was First John 1, 6, uh, 1, 5 and 1, 6. And it, it's really interesting that when this, this woman is, is caught in adultery, and it's been long commented on that the man was never brought forward. Um, he, he should have. Like, they're not even going about this right. And again, this has been long commented on. Yahusha, for whatever reason... Um, you know, he's, he, he's calling actually the people out that are bringing her forward and, uh, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone and so on and so forth. Well, he then turns to her and he says, neither will I punish you go and stop sinning from now and onward. So he's addressing that she is a sinner. Uh, and he's telling her to go and sin no more. And, and, and in fact, that's something obviously Yahusha says constantly to the people he encounters. Go and sin no more. Well, then he turns to the crowd and he says, I am the lamp of the world. And I, I love, it, it, just to repeat again what Michael has already stated here, that um, Anyone who, you know, says they're without sin, oh, let me actually just uh, read that because I'm going to misquote it, uh, what he has just read. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Um, so, I, anyways, I just love that little contrast there. And there's, there, there's a few, there's a few 
no, uh, differences that I did notice between the Greek and the Hebrew. The first one I don't see a big problem with. And like I said, I was really thrilled to see that this story actually made it into the Hebrew. And for everyone listening, if you're just coming in, uh, it, it's theorized, but I think a, a very good case has been made that this Hebrew gospel predates the Greek. That it wasn't the Greek being turned back into Hebrew, as some say with the original Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, that this that the Greek was actually translated from this copy or a copy very similar to this one. Uh, in verse nine, when um, when Yahushua is writing in in the sand, it says, "And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one." The Hebrew doesn't say that. It says, so when they heard this, they all departed from that place. Now, it's not a big, it's not a big deal. It, it's almost like the person writing the Greek is saying that they were, con they were convicted by their own conscience. Like you, you could almost see the, the scribe kind of writing in that little note there. And, and I think he's right there. I don't think that's adding or taking anything away from this. But then a little bit further down in verse 15, we actually see an omission. The, the Greek says this. Uh, Yahusha says, ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And you're like, well, wait a second. What do you mean he doesn't judge any man? Uh, he's made all sorts of judgment calls. All throughout, all throughout the Gospels, he makes judgment calls. You know what? Like, I, I've, I've, I pointed out last week, I think it was last week, how we, uh, or two weeks ago, about how we, we put judgment in such negative connotation. There is a negative judgment, but also a positive uh, judgment. Judgment is good. Um, but in the Hebrew, he's, it says this, you judge according to the flesh, but I do not judge any man, wait for it, according to the flesh. So there's, a, there's an omission there. And it just, it, when you cut that last part out, it sounds bad, but he's like, no, look guys, I do judge. I just don't judge like you guys do. I don't judge according to the outside of the cup, which you guys keep clean. You know, you're a whitewashed tomb. I judge according to your heart on what's on the inside. When you brought forward that woman adultery, I judged her inside, and I judged you guys, and I started, you know, we don't really know what he was writing, right? But, you know, whether he was writing their sins or not, but they, you know, they were spooked by it. So, uh, back to you, Rob. Yeah, I like I like that. Thanks. Thanks, Noel. Uh, I did a couple things I'll comment on, and, and then I'll share some, is on uh, what you're saying about sin no more, or, or go and stop sinning from now and onward. I think we, a lot of people miss that, that once they repent, uh, this is the words from the Messiah, is to now go and stop sinning. Okay, now that you repented, go and stop sinning. And that, I just think that that's one of the key things that need to be said. Um, I wanted to mention something that is kind of off, off, off the wall here, possibly, just a thought. But uh, verse 2, it's the next day. And from what I understand is the, the day prior was the great eighth day, or the, the, the eighth day uh, from Sukkot. And if this is the next, quote, next day, and if you're one that looks into some possible symbolic stuff, if that's the great day and here's the next day, or whether it's the next um, age, uh, what do we see the first thing they talk about happening? <laughs> this woman caught in adultery. Think about that. Anyway, and, you know, a whole new beginning of another week, so to speak. Anyway, okay, so this is a thought. Uh, verse 5 on the adultery part. 
A uh, couple things I want to read is Leviticus 20.10. The adulterer and the adulteress shall surely put, be put to death. Deuteronomy 22.22. If a man is found lying with a married woman, they shall both die, and the man who lay with the woman and the woman, uh, I guess I repeated it, uh, so you shall remove the evil from Israel. Uh, so we see here that the, the man and the woman are to be put to death when this adulterous uh, thing is, is caught and uh, tried. So we also read, what is the test for adultery? For them to prove so if uh, there is a claim, if they're not uh, necessarily caught in the act, What's the test? And we read in Numbers 5, 12 through uh, 31, but I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read parts of that. Is it talk about the, the, the test with the waters of bitterness. So uh, think of that, the water of bitterness, you know, as that word bitterness also means rebuke. And it's to, to me or us, we can see that as uh, wormwood in Revelation, this water of bitterness uh, of rebuke. Uh, Numbers 5.17, And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. So this is what he's mixing up to give to the uh, the guilty, and or at least the accused, I should say. And this accursing water shall enter into your belly to bloat pregnant and to miscarry by your thigh. And the woman shall say, may it be, may it be. So the way I'm, at least my opinion on this, is that if the woman truly was uh, fornicating or in, in adultery with a, with a man, that this water would cause this bloating of, uh, and, and for her to miscarry. So what, would that mean if she actually was in a... Was committed adultery that uh, if she had seed in her, would this water bloating actually make it basically abort? If, if that being the case, so that that that's what came to my mind when I thought about this. If uh, th that was what was the result of this test or this accusation, so that if if it was true, this ad adultery did happen, that this uh, this the, this water bitterness would actually rebuke whether you want to say abomination or whatever, this act of sin and an abortion would happen, as we saw with King David and what he did, and he lost his first child. So I just wanted to add that. I thought, you know, that was something with regarding adultery and the test for adultery that, that we see in, in, the, um, in the Torah. Um, and then regarding what you guys were mentioning on the possible writings of Yeshua on the ground, uh, maybe he was... Um, I just wrote down, maybe he was writing one of the commandments, you know, thou shalt not bear false witness against your brethren. <clears throat> and uh, Michael mentioned 22. I got others, but I'll just go to the 22. Uh, that one, uh, it's either an idiom or explaining. And let me read it one more, one more time so I can make sure I'm in the right context is then the Yaudim would have killed themselves. So if it's an, either an idiot or it's explaining that the Yaudim would actually kill themselves in order to be with him when the Messiah died. 
Because if they really thought that if uh, if they really believed that they could be with him and he died on the cross, then they all would probably commit a mass suicide, uh, knowing that they would be with him uh, from his teachings. But if they if they knew that they're not going to when we die, we're not going to be with him because he's going to a different place, then that maybe that is why. I mean, that that's that's what I was thinking. Uh, But he is from above as he will not die in iniquity. So he, is, he was not like us in dying in sin. Uh, that's why he was going to be above where we could not go if, when we die. So I, that was my thought on the idiom. And then I'll pass it along and I'll come back to, back to some more. I'm waiting to read mine, so you can just finish. You guys are both on mute. Michael, you don't have any more thoughts on this section? I do not, no. Okay. So, there was um, a couple interesting things here. One is that he says that uh, in verse uh, 28, he's, Yeshua said to them, After you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will realize that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. Only as the Father teaches me to speak these things, and in the gospel, in the four gospels we have, I don't think we have on record this fulfillment where the the Yahudim realized um, that who he was. So, the, the, what Michael is about to read, in my opinion, and I'll comment on this next, is it gets really painful because it's like. They really don't know who he is. They they really they're they're they don't get it. And um, let's see if I pulled up Nicodemus here. If I have it, I don't need to. I don't need to read this whole thing here. Um, but the ending, the last chapter of the Gospel of Nicodemus is is really awesome. And you see in the in the the Gospel that the Pontius Pilate you know, seems to get it more than they do. Like, he's always kind of telling them, well, your law says this and that, and he's always kind of... So finally, at the very end, he goes and he has a final confrontation with the Yahudim. And this is what this is how the gospel ends. And this is the last verse of... This is chapter 22, verse 20 of the Gospel of Nicodemus. And it's the Yahudim speaking to Pontius Pilate, and they say, and so it appears that Yahusha, whom we crucified, is Yahusha, Mashiach, the son of Elohim, and true and almighty Elohim. Amen. And so we do see that they finally came to that realization. Unfortunately for them is that they, you know, then tried to cover it up. But, um, and then, let's see, what else do we have here? So last week we were commenting about how there's that... Yahusha says how the father would after there, there seemed to be kind of some debate about it, maybe some different opinions. But I was reading it last week when Yahusha said the father would come and find him after he died. That literally, like he was going to come down and, and resurrect him. And so we see this again in verse twenty nine, and he's he's talking here about the two great witnesses, and this is where it really gets painful. What we're about to read, because 
Um, well, I don't want to comment on that. We'll comment on it coming up. But we see that you, the father and Yahusha are two witnesses. That according to Torah, they witness of each other. And he says this, And he who sent me is with me, and he does not leave me alone, because I do those things which are pleasing to him. So that, that was a kind of a nice follow-up to last week. And um, I think that kind of concludes that right there. I'm going to hand it back to you, Rob, and then you can uh, finish up any of your thoughts. Yeah, I'll, I'll add a couple more things on here. In verse 15, uh, I'm going to follow up with what you were saying, Noel, in judging according to the flesh. And, you know, I, I pulled in... You know, Yeshua is speaking here, and if we look back in, in the writings, we got Isaiah in 11.3. The spirit of the fear of the, of, of the Lord, or of God, shall fill him up. So, this is talking about Yeshua. He shall judge not according to the glory of man, nor shall he reprove according to the speech. So, here he is, you know, fulfilling that prophetic word there. And then in uh, 16, when he's, talk, when he's talking, for I am, for I and the Father who sent me, we are a cod. So he's saying we are one. And that's, you know, that, that is what Deuteronomy 6.4 is saying. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, your Elohim is Yahweh, Echad. So once again, he's, he's saying these, these things that are just inciting the Yahudim because they, can, they cannot see him for who he is. And then lastly, on verse 25, And then they said to him, You, who are you? So Yeshua answered and said to them, The ancient one who speaks. Uh, I, I like that phrase, ancient one, because in Greek, that, that word, G746, uh, actually means be, beginning, which is used in, in most, most translations, beginning. But it also means source, first, power, or principality, so him being the ancient one uh, in that in that answer as far as who he is. So he's he's literally telling them uh, the ancient one speaks. So I, I don't know if this was the first time he says something other than the, him talking about the father sending him, like quote who he is. But here's an answer: he is the ancient one. So that was his answer. That was it, Michael. You, I'm, I'm done for now. Any, any further comments on what I just said? Otherwise, I am good. Sure. Um, I, um, I just looked real quick, and Daniel actually quotes that. Um, I guess you have to get the right version, but Daniel seven nine, New Revised Standard says, "As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool." His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning. So I just thought that was cool. That was, uh, it literally says Yeshua, ancient one, took his throne, white as snow. His clothing was white as snow. Um, if there's nothing else I can read, I will finish out, us out chapter 8. That was a good find. Yeah, go ahead. That was a good find. Yeah, because it, it, once again, if he's re referring lingo and terminologies of referring to himself as this proclaimed one, they're just, once again, they're just getting more and more infuriated. Yep. Yep. Um, okay, so starting on 31, um, I can read, us, read it and finish this out here real quick. Um, then Yeshua said to the Yahudim who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you will become my Talmudim in truth. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will fulfill your request. Then they said to him, We are the seed of Abraham, and we have never been in the back. How do you say that we will become free men? Yeshua answered them, In truth I say to you that every man who sins is the servant of sin, and its servant does not abide in the house forever. Only the, only the sin abides forever. But if the Son makes atonement for you with haste, you will be free men. I know that you are sons of Abraham, but you want, me, you, you want to put me to death because my word is not within you. I speak that which I saw my, from my father, but you do that which you saw with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. So Yeshua said to them, if you are sons of Abraham, do the works of Abraham. But if you want to kill me, but you want to kill me, a man who speaks truth to you, that which I heard from El, did Abraham do this? You do the work of your father. Then they said to him, We we were not born out of fornication. We have one El and one father. So Yeshua said to them, If El were your father, you would have loved him. For I came from El, and I went out from El, and I did not come for myself, but he sent me. Why do you not recognize my word? It is because you are not able to obey him. You are the sons of Hasatan, your father. Therefore you take pleasure in doing the will of your father. He was a murderer at the beginning, and did not abide in truth, for there is no truth with him. For everything which he speaks is a lie. He speaks that which is nigh to him, for he is its father, and he is a liar. But if I speak truth to you, you do not believe me. Who of you traps me in sin? If I speak truth to you, why do you not believe me? Whosoever is from El obeys the word of El, and this is why you do not obey it, because you are not from El. So the Yehudim answered and said, Do, do not we rightly say that you are a Shamromi, Shamroni? You have some of Hasatan. Yeshua answered, There is not a demon in me, but I honor my father, while you despise me. And I do not seek my honor. It is another who seeks it. And he judges true judgment. I say to you in truth that if one establishes my words, he will never die in eternity. Then the Yehudim said, Now we know Hasatan holds on to you. Abraham is dead, and the prophets are dead. And now you say that if one keeps your words, death will not happen to him forever. Are you greater than Abraham, our father, who died? And the prophets you died? Who is it that praises you with these honors except yourself? Yeshua answered, If I praise and honor myself, my honor is nothing. My father is he who gives honor to me. He of whom you say that he is your Elohim. And you do not know him, but I know him. So would I be a liar like you? But I know him and keep his words. Abraham your father desired to see my day, and he saw it and rejoiced. The Yehudim said unto him, You do not even have fifty years of age yet. And Abraham seen you. So Yeshua said to them, Truth I say to you, that before Abraham existed, I, I am. Then they bought stone, brought stones to cast them on him. But Yeshua hid himself and went out from the sanctuary. And now we'll get to hand it off to Noel for his commentary. There are so many good lines in here. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, just, I think the three of us could probably just pick apart every single verse and just look at all the lines here. In full, and I had said last time, uh, last time it was my turn to speak, that this passage came across as really painful to me. In fact, chapter 9 does as well. But what I mean by that is that it, th what I am reading here, this exchange between the Yahudim and Yahusha is so true to reality, to actual conversations that uh, I see go down all the time and just going at the very heart of humanity. And this reminds me of so many 
uh, arguments I've seen on social media. You know, when you got one uh, person typing on one end and then there's someone else typing on the other end and they're both going at each other's throat and they're, it's almost like they're not even, they're, they're trying to get their point across, but they're not listening to the other person. And so Yahushua is trying to say like, you guys are the sons of Satan. And I mean, let's face it, like any time that, uh, anytime you call someone like the son of Satan, it's kind of over at that point. Like they're going to put up their defense and they're like, uh, no, we're not the son of Satan. You're Satan. You know, you speak for, and you know, Yahushua's like, well, you know, Abraham didn't even try to do to me what you guys are trying to, and they're just going back and forth. And if, one of the lines I love on here is it. it it's consistent in the Greek and Hebrew. He says, if you are the sons of Abraham, do the works of Abraham, right? And they're, they're not doing it. But then he goes on, Yahushua, to say, why do you not recognize my, my word? Now, again, let's note here that they actually do not know who he is. One of the reasons is, and I did a, a study, and Rob and Michael, who were here for that, I did a study a couple months ago on how Satan didn't even know who he was. And I, I, I stand by that. I really believe that. Satan did not know that Yahushua was the son of the Most High. Um, and he was trying to figure it out too. He didn't even put it together until after Yahushua died. And the Yahudim, who were spokespersons for Satan here, and that's what Yahushua says, that's why they couldn't figure it out, because it comes from the top down, from management. Management Satan, he was trying to figure out who he was and trying to you know uh, bring him into him too. But this is, this is, for me, the, the line that I really loved. He says, why do you not recognize my word? It is because you are not able to obey him. And so here we see that the, the Pharisees, the, the rulers, the elites, they were actually not following Torah. And this cannot be stated enough. Yahushua never criticized them for obeying his father's commands. I see this taught. I've, I've sat in congregations and churches where they said that this is why he was, he was criticizing them and that we're to be like Jesus who didn't obey the law. Okay. But it's the complete opposite. They are, they don't know who he is because they're not able, they are not obeying the law. If they would obey his father, they would recognize him. And so, this is the, the question of the ages. Will the real Yahushua, Yahushua, Yeshua, Jesus, you know, Jesus, will the real son of Elohim stand up? And if we, if we know who the real Yahushua, Yahushua is, it, it, in my opinion, what he says here, it is the, the son of El who obeys his father's commands. And ask us to do the same. The context here is that he obeys and he does everything the Father says, but they don't. All right. Uh, I think we're on to you, Rob. Okay. I'm going to touch on the things you just mentioned. I have, I have some notes to add to that. In regards to abiding in, in my word in, in verse 31 when he starts uh, you will become my Talmudim in truth and you will know the truth and the truth will fulfill your requests and we know that 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 terminology fulfill your request meaning if you if you are in truth and you know the truth 
then your requests are going to be uh, granted if it is his will. Um, or if we know the truth and doing, doing the truth, as is Talmudim, then he finds favor in us. Um, and something I want to point out is verse 36, when, he, when we are free men, or free, it says, but if the Son makes atonement for you with haste, you will be free men. So, most uh, you hear in teachings out there uh, from the mainstream Christianity is, you know, the truth shall set you free. Well, how is he setting you free? And that atonement is what he is doing. He makes atonement for us. Uh, it says, the, but the son makes atonement for you with haste. Now, he's speaking before he's even crucified. So you have to think about that. What does that mean? Is he refer referencing his future death or is he referencing um what he will be doing in after his resurrection uh in that sense and that's something that we could talk further on and uh, i also want to point out that 44 we've got yeshua uh you know telling them that they are the sons of hasatan here so because they're not able to obey El, as, as, as Noel was mentioning here. Uh, they don't have the truth in them. So he groups those who do not have truth as sons of Hasatan, the liar. And what is the truth? So I think it was last week or the week before, I, I went over the truth in, in the scriptures and pulled the, the verses in, what, what it means to be walking in the spirit and truth. Well, the truth... Uh, equates to uh, eternity, uh, everlasting life. You know, you never die in truth. If you are uh, in the truth and you die in this world, you have e eternity. Why? Be you, uh, you have eternal life. Why? Is because truth is holding to the teachings of Yahusha, you know, his established words. Uh, truth is fellowship with Yah and one another. Truth is knowing we are sinners. And truth is Yah's word. And lastly, truth is the Ruach HaKodesh. And we have scriptures that, that, that I pulled and t t spoke with before on that. So they, when, when Yeshua is claiming to them, they don't, have, they don't know truth. He's telling them they don't know these things. These are th the things they don't know. And one of them being Yah's word, as Noah was pointing out, they, they, they really don't know the Torah. Um, because they're not following what Abraham did. Because Abraham, he was he was loving his neighbors. He was he was he was doing the Torah, not just teaching the peoples, but he was teaching in action. He was actively teaching Torah, uh, and I think that's what Yeshua was was speaking to them also when when he was telling them uh, that they were not they don't know the law. So I'll, I'll, with that, I'll, I'll pass it along to Michael for further follow-up. And um, I'll split mine up. Um, we'll start with, uh, and I think both of you guys kind of hit on some of my comments, but I'll reiterate. Um, number 39 I want to talk about. Um, I'll read it. Um, then they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. So Yeshua said to them, if you are the sons of Abraham, do the works of Abraham. And again, I want to emphasize the word, the word works. You know, there's other passages that say, you know, Abraham believed and it was counted him as righteousness. 
you know, they, they can't be conflicting. You know, the, this is talking about his works. And I want to read Genesis 26, 5. Because Abraham obeyed me and fulfilled his duty to me and kept my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. That's the works of Abraham. So I just wanted to point that out. That <clears throat> um, Where am I? Yeah, so that's what Abraham did. Um, number 41, I thought it was interesting. They're basically calling Yeshua born out of fornication. I thought that was interesting. So you do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. You do the work. And then in the Hebrew, you do the work of your father. Then they said to him, we, we were not born out of fornication. We have one L and one father. So I just thought that was like, they were very vulgar and basically called him out that they, they thought he was born out of fornication, that Joseph wasn't, Joseph thought it was, you know, adultery, right? Um, she was a virgin, allegedly. That's what he thought. Um, so I thought that was, you know, they, they were kind of hitting below the belt there. You know, they were try probably trying to get a rise out of him, um, but he didn't bite. Um, and then... I think Noel touched on both of these. I just want to highlight them again. Um, 43 and 47, the Hebrew just does it more justice. So 43, why do you not understand my speech? This is the Greek, even because you cannot hear my word. Okay. And then the Hebrew, why do you not recognize my word? It is because you are not able to obey him. I just don't get how it's that blatant. It's blatant difference. Um, you can't get around that if this was in the Greek. Um, and number 47, again, way better. This is the Greek. He that is, a, is of God, heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. And in the Hebrew, whosoever is from El obeys the words of El. And this is why you do not obey it, because you are not from El. Again, it's just more obedience-centric in the Hebrew. And th those are some of the parallel or the differences I've noticed, at least in the first half. I have a few more comments, but I will cut it here and give it off to Noel. <clears throat> yeah, I had actually forgotten to make a... I'm glad you brought that up, because I actually didn't pick that up, that they took that jab at him. And let's keep in mind here that this follows the instance where they brought forth the woman supposedly caught in adultery. And I have noticed that I actually think that in the... in his lifetime, there was probably... Uh, dual opinions on who he was um, based on his birth, that some people did believe that he was born of a virgin. And I think I could make a case for that in the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. But we did read in this group, again, the Infancy Gospels of Yaakov. And I think a much better one, which we haven't read yet, is the Infancy Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and in both cases, they actually... The, the the very test that Rob was talking about, how they take the adulterous woman forward, and you know, will we'll, her thighs swell, and you know, she's got to drink this bitter cup and that kind of stuff. And Miriam is uh, put through this test. We see the same test happen in Susanna, the book of Susanna, and she she clears the test, and they're like, well, I guess she's you know. So my point is, is that. Some three decades earlier, Miriam took the test. Yosef did too, and they both passed it. And according to that, they could not accuse them anymore of fornication. 
according to their own test, that it was attested to by Yahuwah that they're on the clear. And so we see them still pushing this narrative, which is really fascinating. There was, um, I wanted to go back on the, um, what Rob had talked about, about making atonement for you in haste. Because I actually, I took a note here on, on my, if I could pull up my, my sheet of paper right here. I wrote, did Yahusha have to die? Um, now, that, that's a weighty question right there, because I see, we see clearly where it's prophet, prophesied throughout the Tanakh, and also all the way going back to Genesis. But as a high priest of the Meshelzedek order, could he have made atonement? If, if, the, if the Yahudim had, had simply said, yeah, we choose you as our high priest, we already see that there was a whole group of people who wanted to choose him as their king. And he was, he was like, no, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not having that. It's my, not my time yet. Because, of course, he knew where he was going with this, right? But the question I have, and maybe this is like one of those questions that they ask in philosophy 101 on your first day of class when they try to blow your mind, whatever. You know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, does it still make a noise, right? Uh, maybe it's one of those kind of questions that we just, it, maybe it's pointless to ask. Maybe there's no resolution to it. But I'm curious, Rob and Michael, if you guys have any thoughts on that. Could you... You, because Rob, you had made the point, and I agree with you that he that I think I agree with you. If what you're saying is what I have concluded, that Yahusha, as our high priest now, our current high priest, he is making atonements for us now. That he, I, I believe that he is overseeing whatever is going down um, in his kingdom, um, whatever that looks like. I think that there are sacrifices being made. So. I'd be curious to hear you guys' thoughts on that. And the question is, did he have to die? I'll hand it back over to you. Um, yeah, Rob, take it away and whatever else you have. Okay, yeah, that's 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 a great question. Uh, yeah, the, the I, I I don't have a one hundred percent formed answer on that one yet, uh, but. He obviously is making atonement for us, and, and the, the, I guess the question is, was the sacrifice, the death on the cross, the one and only uh, atonement needed or ever needed is the question uh, that if, if it is not so, then obviously there needs to be a continuous atonement made uh, for, the, for the living uh, until the great last day or the the last day um I, I i don't know if i can answer that one or uh i off off the cuff right now i don't i can't i, I, I can't either i just thought yeah. if you guys had a thought on yeah i, I don't want to miss misspeak but it is something that uh, i would have to look in deeper on it to give uh, a better a better thought out answer on it but you know i'm kind of uh I'm not in a, in a spot where I can answer it 100% yet. So, but the last things I'll add is um, each and every time we see in in these in these writing here is Yeshua always given the honor uh, and glory to the Father, and he doesn't take honor from, from for himself, and he's referring always back to the Father, and and, and then when questioned, he says. The Father gives honor. So the only one that's going to give him honor is not going to be himself. It's only going to be the Father. 
So, you know, he mentions that in 54, referring to verse verse 50. And then uh, lastly, in 58, uh, so Yeshua said to them, Truly I say to you that before Abraham existed, I, I am. And he, here the I am uh, is, is a... Is a comes from the root word H1933 to be to exist, but I just wanted to point out that that's that's a verb. It's a it's from the verb form. So uh, he he's he's just referring to the the I am the the great I am that Moses is, was speaking speaking to, and once again he's saying things that are going to incite the Yadim because they don't know uh they don't know the father so they interpret the scriptures and not knowing what what they're actually what they actually should know that yeshua is there to explain or talk about and they just can't get that so that was all i wanted to add in addition and michael if you have more to add go from there sure i guess if he had to die, um, again, I would have to do a lot of research, but my, my initial response is yes, he would. Um, I don't think he was the Melchizedek priest until he was resurrected and placed at the right hand. Um, if he's our Passover lamb, that had to be, they, they had to die. If he was a guilt offering, like Isaiah 53 says, that that included death. You know, there's no remission of sins. Without, he was a willing sacrifice. So for me, um, he wasn't the Melchizedek priest until he died and was placed. But yeah, I agree with Noel that he's still making atonement in whatever capacity that is, whatever sacrifice he's doing up there. I, I agree with that. Um, uh, I guess to finish out the rest of the chapter on my notes, um, number 56. So, and I guess it was kind of throughout the whole end of the part, but um Abraham, your father, desired to see my day, and he saw it and rejoiced. Um, you know, I always go back to the Abrahamic covenant is the resurrection. Like, he he knew he had that blessing, that covenant with the Most High, yet he didn't see the quote-unquote promised land, right? He died, like the Pharisees literally said he did. They're correct in that aspect, but it's, it's because his promise was the covenant or of the resurrection. So only Joshua and Caleb saw it in the old testament right and the and the, everybody under 20 the women and children um, abraham didn't noah didn't right but that's because his promise was the resurrection and being placed in the new jerusalem i just want to read hebrews eleven thirteen. all these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers in exile on earth um and but i do want to ask the question though so the question is, on that number 56, how did he see it and rejoice while he was still living? Like, I would understand that if this was Yeshua already resurrected and Abraham saw him in Sheol or something like that. So I have two more comments, but if you guys can comment on that, I think that would be awesome. Um, the other two, 58. Um, so Yeshua said to them, Truth I say to you, that before Abraham existed, I am. So everybody can go to Exodus 3.14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he, and he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. 
The Greek literally reads, before Abraham came into existence, I existed. But I wanted to point out Jerusalem Targum, which obviously makes it way more clear. And the word of the Lord said to Moshe, he who spake to the world, be, and it was. And who will speak to it? Be, and it will be. And he said, thus shalt thou speak to the sons of Israel. Ahiah had sent me unto you. So I just want to highlight that. In Jerusalem Targum, it says the word of the Lord said to Moses. In Exodus 3.14, Masoretic, it said God said to Moses. Um, so in, if you believe in the Targum, the reason why Yeshua can say I am is because he was the word of the Lord. And the Masoretic took that out. The Targum is the one who's adding that. Um, and then finally, just real quick on 59. Then they brought stones to cast them on him. But Yeshua hid himself and went out of the sanctuary. I just wanted to highlight some other patriarchs who were almost stoned as well, and that's Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, and David. So that's just more kind of foreshadowing between those patriarchs and Yeshua. So that's all I have for chapter 8. I guess, no, take it over. Yosef was thrown in a ditch. There is <laughs> a few others, quite a few, uh, of course, prophets who were killed as well. Um, I don't really have any thing else you had asked the question um abraham your father desired to see my day and he saw it and rejoiced i would be curious to there, there's a few different uh books we with the three of us know like apocalypse of abraham and in in second baruch it talks about abraham seeing new Jerusalem in heaven if I'm not mistaken, and I I don't have that in front of me, so he obviously saw stuff, and I'm I'm looking for the what scripture, what text that Second Baruch was quoting from, and I'm I'm actually undecided on that. I haven't figured that out yet, uh, because I I would be I'd be curious, like if writings of Abraham has him seeing. Actually, it does. Actually, um, the writings of Abraham does have him prophesying about uh, the coming of Messiah. So. I don't know if that's what this is referring to, another one. But that's all I have. And Rob, I'll hand it back to you before I start reading the next chapter. Yeah, uh, I'd have to look up. But uh, for some reason, I'm thinking I, I've read somewhere in the other writings and books, of, of, and specifically about Abraham seeing. Uh, so I, I would have to get back with you on that, Michael. Um, where I can find that, if if, if I recall right uh, correctly. But other than that, I got no more to add. Uh, if you have something more, Michael, please share. Uh, no, I'm all done for chapter eight. Thank you. All right, then we are going to continue on to chapter nine, and this is a um, pretty awesome chapter. Not nearly as complex as the last one, but still good nonetheless. And Yeshua was walking, at, scratch that, let me start again. As Yeshua was walking, he saw a man, blind from the day of his birth. Then his Talmudim asked him, Rabbi, who is it that sinned, this man or his father or his mother, so that this man was born blind? Yeshua answered, neither this man has sinned, nor his father, nor his mother, that he was born blind. But this happened to him in order that the work of El may be revealed through him. It is necessary for me to do works while it is day, for night will come wherein no one is able to work. While I am in this world, there is light in the world. 
When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, and clay was formed with the spit with that spittle. Then he anointed his eyes with that clay, and said to him, Go and bathe in the waters of Shiloak, which means sending. So he went and immersed himself there, and he saw with his eyes. And they who had formerly seen that he had been poor said, Is this not the man who used to beg at the gates and sat and ate wearily? And there was some who said, This is he. And there were others who said, It is not this man, he only resembles him. But he said, I am he. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? So he answered, A certain man who is called Yeshua made clay and anointed my eyes and sent me to the waters of uh, Shiloak to bathe there. So I went and bathed, and then I saw. Then they asked him, Where is he? He answered, I do not know. Then they brought him to the Perishim, and said that Yeshua had made clay on the Shabbat and opened that man's eyes. So the Perishim asked him, In what manner did he restore your sight for you? And he said unto them, He made clay and placed it on my eyes, and I stood up and saw. Therefore some of the Perishim said, This man is not from El, for he does not keep the Shabbat. But others said, How is a sinful man able to do these signs? So there was a great division among them. Nothing new there. Then they asked the blind man again, What do you say of him who opened your eyes? And he said that he is prophet. Then the Yahudim did not believe that his birth was in blindness until they had called his father and his mother and asked them, saying, Is this your son of whom you saw that he was born while he was blind? If so, in what manner does he now see? His father and his mother answered them and said, We know that this is our son born while he was blind. However, in what manner his eyes were opened and how he now sees, we do not know. Ask him, for he is a son of knowledge, and he will speak for himself. His father and his mother said these things because they were afraid of the Yahudim, that if one of them would say that he is Mashiach, he would be cast out of the house of assembly. This is why his father and his mother said, Ask the son, for he is a son of years. Then they asked him again, the man who had been abiding in blindness, and said to him, Give praise and prayer of thanksgiving to Yahuwah. Do, not, do you not know that this man is a sinner? Then he said, I do not know. Excuse me. I do not know. However, this thing I do know, that I was blind and now I see. Therefore they asked him, What did he do for you? And how did he open your eyes? So he answered, I have told you already, and you heard it. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his Talmudim? Therefore they cursed him and said, You are his Talmudim. We are the Talmudim of Moshe. Ooh. We know that El speaks with Moshe, that El spoke with Moshe, but we do not know this man where he is from. That man answered and said to them, This is a wonderful thing that you say you do not know from where he is, and he opened my eyes. Do you not know that El does not hear sinners? But if one loves El and does his will, he hears him. From eternity no man has heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man who had been born blind except this man. And except he has this ability from El, it would not be in his hand to do anything. Then they answered and said to him, Behold, you were born in iniquity, and you must not teach. And they drove him out. When Yeshua heard that they had driven him outside, he found him, 
And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the son of El? That man answered and said, Adon, who is he that I may believe in him? So Yeshua said unto him, You, you see him, and he who speaks with you, it is he. Then he said, Adon, I believe in him. And he turned back and worshipped him. And Yeshua said unto him, With judgment I came into this world, in order that those who do not see, that they may see, and those who see, that they, be, that they may be made blind. Then some of the perishim who were with him heard this, and said to him, Thus are we blind? So Yeshua said to them, If you were blind, you would have had no iniquity, but your iniquity abides. All right, over to you, Rob. Okay. I don't have a whole lot on this because it's one story, but I got some points I want to dig out here. Is I'm going to talk about the man being born blind, about, the, about blindness. And what I want to point out is that Blindness is tied into uh, lawlessness. And I'm going to read a couple verses regarding that and then, and then ex explaining it. <clears throat> Exodus 20, verse 4 through 5. You shall not make of yourself an idol, nor any representation, as much as in the heaven above, nor as much in the earth below, nor as in the waters underneath the earth. You shall not do obeisance to them nor shall you serve to them for i am yahweh your elohim a jealous el rendering sins of the fathers upon children unto the third and fourth generation to the ones detesting me so i'm, I'm referring to when they when they said that this man is born blind and it's because of the sins of his parents etc so i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on that exodus 34 6 through 7 and Yahweh went by before his face and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, pitying and merciful, lenient and full of mercy and true, and righteous observing and doing mercy for thousands, removing lawlessness and iniquities and sins. And the ones liable he will not cleanse, bringing the lawlessness of the fathers upon the children and upon the children of the children until the third and fourth generation. Then we have two more here. And in Numbers 14, 18, the Yahweh is lenient and full of mercy and true, removing lawless deeds and iniquities and sins, but by cleansing, he shall not cleanse the liable, repaying the sins of the father upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Deut Deuteronomy 5, 7 through 10. There shall not be other gods to you before my face. You shall not make for yourself a carving nor representation as many as are in the heaven upward and below and the, and the waters underneath the earth. You should not do obeisance to them nor in any way serve them. Uh, for I am Yahweh, your Elohim, a jealous El, repaying the sins of the fathers upon the children until the third and fourth generation to the ones detesting me. 
and executing mercy to thousands, to the ones loving me, and to the ones keeping my orders. So when we're talking about these the, the sins of the fathers to generations to generations, it's always tied to the ones that are uh, worshiping other else, uh, obeying, uh, giving them worship, and 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 serving them. So it's tied to these other L's. And then when it comes to the, the opposite of that, it's the, 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 the ones who are uh, being obedient and not the, quote, in, in here it talks about them being the lawless ones. So when the children, when he's talking about the blind man and, and being born in the sins from his parents, they're just plain assuming that these parents were living in lawlessness or serving other L's and, and so forth. But uh, if that's not not the case, where we know it's not, because Yeshua says that this was done for the glorification of, of Yah, that we would have to assume that all the uh, Pharisees, all of the teachers during that time were automatically judging people or parents who had children that were born with all kinds of issues and, you know, uh, uh, whether they're uh, blind or whether they were uh, uh, some type of uh, ailment or disfiguration or anything like that. So I'm sure that there was judgment upon those parents, whether it was a parent or maybe there were not any, but they would assume so because of these, these things that were written and because they were interpreting it only one way. Uh, I wanted to bring up Isaiah 42, uh, 16 and 17 to, to end, up, end with this. I will bring the blind by a way that they don't know. I will lead them in paths that they don't know. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. I will do these things and I will not forsake them. Those who trust in engraved images, who tell molten images, you are gods, will be turned back. They will utterly, well, they will be utterly disappointed. So here in, in Isaiah, he's talking about how the blind will be taking a, taken down a path away that they don't know. And that's that that makes me think about all of us who come to the truth come to the saving knowledge of the messiah that we're all brought down different paths you know we're all we're blind and now we see and here we we see that that we're all brought in a way that we don't know you know we all have our own testimonies that can speak to some great things and how how we came to the place where we are through experiences through the through what we've heard and what we've read to bring us to this place. And, and, and he says that, you know, those who trust in the engraved images, uh, you know, these idols, etc., cetera, uh, they will be disappointed uh, in that. So I, I wanted to read all that to talk about the blindness uh, and the sins of the, of the fathers and going on to the generations upon generations. And then I got one other thing after that, but I'll stop with that. And Michael, any follow-up? I don't have much on chapter 9, but I will split mine up. Uh, number 3, you spoke on the blindness, and I just wanted to point this out. I, I love this verse. Um, 
and I can't find it a lot of times, but I'm glad we're reading this and it, you know, it's going to stick with me now, but um, they, they might not like it, but this is a, a possible answer that we could give um, atheists or people that want to blame God for making a blind person or someone else with other handicap. You know, you hear that all the time. It's like, why would God make this person blind and all that stuff? Uh, number three answers that for you, at least, you know, to our benefit. Um, in the Greek, it says, so that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And then in the Hebrew, it says, um, the work of El may be revealed through him. So this would be my answer, at least initially, when talking to an unbeliever who would, you know, rip our the most high for creating a blind person or another handicap is, is because the works of him will be made through that individual. And you'll see, hopefully, Israel helping that individual and, you know, other kind of miracles and, and light, you know, helping that individual. Um, like I said, I don't think the atheists would like that, but that's, that would be my answer is why, you know, why would God make someone blind? It's, it's really to, to show who he is through that individual, through that person. Um, number seven, um, and said to him, go and bathe in the waters of Shalok, which means sending. So he went and immersed himself there and he saw with his eyes. Um, there's a cross-reference. It's reminiscent of Elijah sending Naaman to wash in the Jordan River. And that is 2 Kings 5.10. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, interesting number, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. So this is, you know, I've never know, we, we know, or at least I've noticed, you know, the, jo the Joseph, the David comparisons, but I'm seeing so many Elijah comparisons to Messiah. Just by reading this, John, and this is just another one where he, he uh, you know, restores somebody. Um, number eight, this will be the last one, then I'll send it off to Noel. Um, now, there's a big difference in the Greek and the Hebrew. So that the neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind and said, is this not he that sat and begged? So they focus on the blindness. But in the Hebrew, they, they don't. They said... And they who had formerly seen that he had been poor, they focus on his financial status. Is this not the man who used to beg at the gates and sat and ate wearily? I don't know what to make of that and why it's different, but I just wanted to highlight that it's Hebrew focuses on the poor. And they both mentioned that he was blind at the, you know, within context, so it's not that. But I just thought it was interesting that Hebrew focuses on the poor while Greek somewhat stays consistent with the blindness. I have one at the very end, but I'll, I'll get off, give it off to Noel right now to finish this up. Well, I found his parents to be completely lame. And the, we don't see... <laughs> they're actually showing no love for their son whatsoever. They don't stick up for their son. They, and it, John tells us why. They were afraid of being cast out of the temple. By who? By the controllers. They would rather be under you know the the authority of these very wicked people then actually speak the truth it says or in this case actually acknowledge messiah and i can't think of anything you know uh, worse than you know denying messiah in this world it says right here that they were afraid that if one of them would say that he is mashiach he would be cast out of the house of assembly so then we see the contrast here so the parents are unwilling to do anything for their son or stick up for their son that would cause them to be estranged from the establishment 
again, lame. But then we see the son, he's already been cast out of the establishment. Like he's he's not even welcome in the temple to begin with. We actually see here they're like you're, you're they actually just they judge him like you're a, well you're a sinner. You're, you you're not able to teach. So get out of here, right? So but so the son, he's already cast out and he's calling out their sin. Like he's not holding anything back. He's coming in and speaking the truth to them. And it's like I love this guy. This guy is, you know, it's it's the complete opposite of of blindness. Here he is. He's blind. He's coming to the light, and he's speaking the truth. And nobody else in this chapter, of course, aside from Yahusha, is speaking the truth. And he even says this here. This is the most awesome response. And the the Pharisees are telling him, "We know that El spoke with Moshe, but we do not know this man where he is from." Now the key word here is spoke. All right, and I think here what they're actually talking about is the oral law, because and you you can disprove the oral law in in a minute. I don't want to sound cocky on this, but I mean we see that we see that the the written law was completely lost leading up to the Babylonian captivity because they had no love for the law. So the mere fact that anyone could claim that the oral law, this supposed oral law, was carried from Moses down through this, you know, select neophytes, uh, you know, the select masters, all the way down the Pharisees makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, that that it throws it, you know, into despair pretty quickly. So they're saying we know that that Yahuwah, the Most High, spoke with Moses to give us our oral law, and he says the the most awesome response ever. He's like, "Do you know that El does not hear sinners?" It's like okay, so <laughs> so you know, yeah, that's just that that was like you see him just jabbing them back. He's like, no, you, you don't get it. Like L doesn't remember it, it, the context is spoke, and he's like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't hear you guys. Um, so wanted to throw that out there, and I'm gonna th- give it back to you, Rob. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like uh, he's preaching to the uh, the Pharisees. Uh, what they should know, and in in the reading, I think you I think you can see that because because of their response, their response, um, they they literally are I throw him out uh, and and tell him that he has been born in sin and all you know he they just they totally bash him because of him questioning them and doing I I think a pretty good job at at pointing that out. Um, and and with that is the, the okay so the blind so he's pointing it out and Noel just said uh, L does not hear sinners but the ability from L by healing healing the blindness um, uh, gives support of Yahusha doing L's will so he's more or less telling them yeah but he just healed me. He 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 done this this miracle, isn't that good in in the will of Yah? And but yet the same thing, uh, he's saying God doesn't hear the sinners, but yet he's doing these great things. So is he not? So I mean, he's he's really posing a great question back at them. Uh, and if if we understand the Hebrew rhetoric, uh, he, he I think he was doing pretty good. In his response, um, on the uh, 
when he when he talks about that about hearing L does not hear him, um, I I refer that to like Psalm sixty six eighteen. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So they're obviously they they know that uh, Yah here. I don't want to say Yah does not hear those who who sin. I mean, we we know that Yah does hear the prayers of every everyone, but he also speaks that he turns his ear from people too. And anytime he's doing that, it's always in reference to uh, sinners and sinning and abominations, etc. So, so I I don't think I need to explain that. Uh, well, the last thing I want to point out is when this process of the blind man. So if we take what we're seeing here and apply it to our lives and the lives of everyone being blind, uh, if we're looking at the spiritual or symbolic of this, uh, we are all born blind and we come and find and seek out the truth. And we come to that truth by Messiah. So here's a blind man. Messiah comes up to him. He uh, uh, takes the, uh, the dirt, the clay, mix it in with some saliva, puts it on his eyes and tells him to do what? Go immerse himself. So he's immersing himself. You know, the Greek more or less says he he's washes it off, but in the Hebrew, he goes in a he mikvahs, he, he, he immerses himself in the water and comes out not blind. He can see. So he, he's now this new person. He is, you know, this symbology of being born again in that sense also with, with walking in, in the world and then now walking through. So I just see that as a symbology of uh, ha being immersed and coming out and being able to see. Now, now he can see. So I just wanted to add that to it. And with that, I am done. Uh, Michael, follow up, please. Yeah, the um, you guys already hit on about the uh, he doesn't even hear their prayers. Um, I just wanted to read uh, Proverbs twenty eight nine: One who turns his ear away from listening to the law. Even his prayer is an abomination. A few things there. Um, just listening to the law. <laughs> not even like, okay, I, I don't, you know, not doing it. Even hearing it. So when us Torah people are trying to tell people that they should obey, if they turn their ear away from even having that conversation, even the prayer is an abomination. I don't know. That, that should put the fear of God on people regardless. Um, um, We've already discussed it. Maybe we can continue even after this and ask the, you know, the chat um, about more, more about on this, that God does not hear sinners. Um, this needs to be talked about more. Um, that's really all I had on chapter nine. I only had four comments. So I guess Noel can finish this off. Well, one thing I wanted to, you know, as soon as I pass off to Rob, I was like, ah, there's something I wanted to add to it. And I, I really identify, <laughs> I really identify with this this uh, formerly blind man, and you know the, the irony here is that he was never truly blind, right? Um, and just hit his ability to speak the truth to these uh, these temple leaders, priests, you know, lawgivers, whatever, and and just laid out there for him. And when they when they kick him out, I'm just like. I'm like cheering, like, yeah, you know, like good, he's like kicked out to like good company at this point. And, you know, the, the irony is that, right, Yahushua is the ancient one, right? And, and these people in the temple, they're so afraid for standing up for Mashiach because they want to be what? 
in the is it really because they want to be in the presence of L or you know the company of the people whatever that there's so many you know subconscious psychological things going on in the human condition as to why people would constantly deny Messiah but I love this verse right here when Yeshua heard that they had driven him outside he found him and and so like Yeshua hears that somebody got kicked out of the temple on his behalf for for standing up for his testimony and for who he is and then the first thing he does is he he finds him and he says to him do you believe in the son of el and and uh, of course he's like yeah of course i do right and so that's just it's a really awesome story i want to really uh stress here that you know you, you read this and it's like Yahusha basically he spits in the ground, he forms a little mud, puts it on his eyes, he's like, okay, go wash. And this is a huge deal for people. It's on it's on the Shabbat, and they're freaking out over this. And it's like, well, why are they freaking out over this? We see the same thing happening in the Hebrew gospel of Thomas. I'm sorry, the the, the not the Hebrew the infancy gospel of Thomas, not to be confused with the gospel of Thomas, which is the Nagamati text, but the infancy gospel of Thomas as well as the infancy gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading from the uh, infancy gospel of Matthew here. This comes from chapter 27. And it goes as follows. And it came to pass after these things that in the sight of all Yahushua, uh, in, in the sight of all, Yahushua took clay from the pools, which he had made. Now, contextually here, he's just a few years old, three or four years old. He's very young. And this is on a Sabbath day. And of it, of the clay, he made 12 sparrows. And it was the Sabbath when Yahushua did this. And there were very many children with him. When therefore one of the Yahudim had seen him doing this, he said to Yosef, uh, Yosef, does thou not see the child? And they all get upset. And then this becomes the whole thing. And it, it starts escalating into the elders coming forth to, to Yosef and Miriam and saying, uh, and I've stressed this in weeks past in the study, that it wasn't about teaching him Torah. It was, he needs to come into the authority of the tradition of the elders. And we saw this from the very beginning. And they they wanted, you know, if, if Yahushua was truly schooled and enlightened and knowledgeable, that he would fall in line with the teaching of the elders. And so we see again, it's like, in that case, uh, the the whole lesson behind the infancy gospel of Thomas is that there was never an imperfect work with Messiah. Everything he did from the time he was a child, even though some of the things were very childish he did, like clay pigeons, they were a perfect work. Nothing was wasted. And here again, we see him committing more to you know a perfect work. Um, we never see we never see who should do anything that is not uh, you know productive in his father's will and that's all i have on this um heading it off to back to you rob and seeing what your final thoughts are yeah my final thoughts is uh one, one of the things i want to i want to ask the people in chat is their thoughts on the poor uh here's a blind man who is poor and as michael pointed out they they, they kind of focused on him being poor was this not the you know the one that was poor? And do do you think that the the children of Israel, the believers, the sons of of Yah here, are they are we to be poor? Are we destined to be poor? Are we poor for a reason? Uh, 
should none of us be poor? Uh, I just want to get some people's thoughts on that, what, what they may think uh, regarding the poor and the status of, the, of this, this person. And were the children, were the uh, children of Israel not taking care of the poor? Or is it just a reference of this person just happened to be on the poor side of the economy, but was still being taken care of? Um, I, I don't think there's quite enough context to really answer that, but I just wanted to get people's opinions on what they might think in regards to that. Even in today, uh, fellow believers, uh, is there an expectation that there's going to be poor in the body? Um, or is the body to support and help and take care of fellow believers that are uh, poor? So with that, um, I'm done. I just wanted to state that as, as I'm thinking about that. And otherwise, I, I'm, I'm done with what I had to add. And Michael, anything for you before we move into uh, follow-up? No, you're on mute. That's because I'm doing the jazz hands tonight. Yeah. Um, Michael was uh, getting a little choppy there, a little robotic at the end. But I believe he asked the question, what else is an abomination? And that, that's a really good question. I mean, that, that's pretty, biblically speaking, that's pretty strong language there. So what Rob and Michael are, and I are doing right now is we're opening up the floor. Is there anybody, anybody who has um, any thoughts on this? Because this is something we would really like to flesh out with you guys. I would agree, though, with, um, I would agree with what, I don't know if Rob or Michael had originally said it, but it, I mean, it. Just you just repeat that verse there. It's a scary verse. He who turns away his ear from from um, did it just disappear? Oh, there it is. He who turns away his ear from hearing the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. I mean, I've I've thrown that out to people, and they just they'll just laugh it off or just eh, whatever. Like it doesn't, you know, like that's speaking to the Jews. Or, you know, and every time, it, every single time, it it tells us to be obedient to His law. It's so you know, conveniently, you know, like all the rest of that book will be written to to the goyim, but not that you know that one's written to the yahunim, and it, it's it, it's scary. Yeah, so this is what I was saying right before we started today. I was reading from the first epistle of John, and if we go there, chapter two twenty eight, and now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. And then, you know, we have chapter three now, you know, the markers that they put in there. Behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God in Yahuwah and does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. So this is where it's going to go. Once again, sharing the same message, John, once again. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he, that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither knows him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, 
even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, the Son of Yahuwah was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of Yahuwah does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of Yahuwah. In this, the children of Yahuwah are manifest in the children of the devil. In this, the children of Yahuwah yeah, are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of Yahuwah, neither he that loves not his brother. So how this gets confused or separated that they're not talking once again, you got to be righteous. You got to follow Yahusha's way and number one and, and not do sin, which again is being righteous is following the law. <laughs> being it's, it's not separated and somehow it's become like separated. Sin is tab taboo instead of wrongdoing. You know, it's like really clear. And this is what the, you know, the Hasatan has done a good job confusing the world is that there is, it is basically a right way and a wrong way of being. And one is of Yahuwah and one is of Hasatan. And there isn't really a gray area. We might do it, but it's clear. And so we might think there is a gray area, but the word in Yahusha has made it clear over and over again. John, who walked with him, shares once again clearly the same message and showing the way. And so how it gets separated once again it becomes so controversial. You, to me, that's the handiwork of the devil. Once again, right here, that's his mind that you're going with. And when you do that, so whether Yahusha, you know, came and absolved you of all your sin, yeah, he did. But if you continue, you're not in him. You don't abide in him anymore. So to save, so where people go, yeah, once saved, always saved. It, that's where it's like uh, mm, that's not what he's that's not what he said he said that well that if you do not continue in his way uh, by abiding in him by being righteous then you you won't be you will be of hasatan you'll be of his and you know where that's going into the lake of fire now i was trying to find and that was all really good thank you uh, Mike. Uh, so again, that you know, I was trying to find the actual scripture verse where it said "pig is an abomination," and I pulled up the wrong one. But in the in this uh, comment section here, people have been building a really great case of all the different abominations within Torah, and I think it's I think it's building the the bigger peripheral vision of what it means to that whoever does not listen to his Torah. Even his prayer is an abomination to him. And so let, let's look at these here, some of these here. Um, I see one from 
Uh, okay, what, what are the ones specifically that talk about abomination? The first one here is Deuteronomy chapter 7. The carved image of their mighty ones you are to burn with fire. Do not covet the silver or gold that is on them. Do not take it for yourselves, that you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to your Elohim. So the the images, the, uh, the carved images, the idols um, of the nations around you, that's an abomination. Don't take those. Let's see what else we have. Here's one from Proverbs. For my mouth speaks truth, and wrongness is an abomination to my lips. So, lying, abomination. All right, let's see if we have another one here. Um, let's see. Uh, I have here, of, um, well, I have one from Leviticus chapter 7. I was trying to find the one specifically on pigs, but it talks about unclean abominations there. Um Here's another one from Proverbs. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to Yahuwah. Hand to hand, he goes not unpunished. So the proud of heart. Uh, so we got the liars, proud of heart. Uh, lying lips are an abomination to Yahuwah. Proverbs 12, 22. But those who deal truly are his delight. Uh, Isaiah 66, 17. Oh, I know where this one is going. Those who set themselves apart and cleanse themselves at the gardens after one in the midst, eating flesh of pigs, and the abomination and the mouse are snatched away together, declares Yahuwah. Uh, what do we got here? Is this another one? Ecclesiastes 10.13. Is this another? Oh, yeah, it's another abomination. For pride is the beginning of sin. So now we're dealing with pride again. And he that hath it shall pour out abomination. And therefore Yahuwah brought upon them strange calamities and overthrew them utterly. Uh, what else do we have here? This is Proverbs 11 and 1. A false scale is an abomination to Yahuwah, but a perfect weight is his delight. So dishonesty, which again is lying, but this is in, in terms of, uh, of trade, of commerce. And we see here, um, is this another abomination? Yes, it is. The Book of Wisdom or the Wisdom of Solomon 1411 states, Therefore, even upon the idols of the Gentiles, the Goim, shall there be a visitation, because in the creature of Elohim, there become an abomination, and stumbling blocks to the souls of men, and a snare to the feet of the unwise. So here we see a lot of examples um, of abominations, and I think that um, within Christianity, there, there's a, a general understanding. A lot of these were, you know, pride, lying. Idols. I think there's a pretty good understanding. Like, okay, you're not supposed to lie. You're not supposed, you know, you're not supposed to be haughty, proud. You know, cast out your idols and idols. You know, all these issues are a big one for all of us to deal with here in our culture and so on and so forth. But um, there's. Oh, uh, welcome, Lisa. Um, yeah, and, it really uh, comes down to: Do you want to correct your way when you're shown that you did something that was? not correct and you can see people like uh they'll then they'll debate whether it's correct or not instead of going well if it is will you and that's where you see the pride or the um the not wanting to be obedient not wanting to uh, once again is there um like we say the will of yah or it's not Pamela added here that abomination is defined as something in the worship of an idol, false Elohim. And um, I'm trying to find, though, and I all those, a, a large chunk of those examples I gave are obviously the worship of other idols. Um, 
you know, it's interesting though that of all the unclean meats that it talks about that we're not to eat, I I think the only one that is an abomination, except for the Isaiah passage, which uh, includes the the mouse in the abomination, uh, is is pig. Um, and I understand that pigs were used many times for the worship of other Elohim, but so were some clean animals like goats and and rams and other things. And so I'm kind of curious on your guys' thoughts on that. Um, and the other one too is um, abomination. Uh, homosexuality is an abomination as well. And so, what are your thoughts on that? Is is abomination always in reference to other Elohim, or can it be, um, you know, a, a sin of selfishness and desire? Which I guess maybe you can argue, you, you know, you are being your own god or whatever. Here's another one uh, from Proverbs 29-27. An unrighteous man is an abomination to the righteous. <laughs> and he who is straight in the way is an abomination to the wrong. That That is... So That's what I was I, sharing. That is so That's, true. It's that, it's that simple. It's that straight. Uh, why did my brain go to the screeching owl? Because... I have in my in my house I have I love owls. Okay, I love owls. And um I go out in my neighborhood looking for them all the time and they'll come out, you know, kind of around dusk and I have these big grand oak trees around my house and I love it when like the owls will come, they'll fly down and they'll park there and I'll just stare up at them and they'll like they'll look down and start staring down at me. And so I have uh, it is a carved image. Uh, I have a, a an, like a carved owl in my house that I keep on my bookshelf, and I promise everyone it has nothing to do with the occult. It has nothing to do with Bohemian Grove, but for whatever reason, I, I guess I thought of owl because there was uh, for a time I was having these um, these Sabbath groups uh, come out over my house, and there was one guy he had it out for my owl. I love my owl and he had it out for my owl and <laughs> the paganist paganism intensifies. And I kid you not, every time he came over, he would do something to my owl. He would pick it up and he would move it somewhere. And so I'd always have to look for my owl. Like he would wait till my, my back was turned or something like that. And he would move my, he really didn't like my owl and I love my owl. So um, that's why I thought of the screeching owl. But also, just so you guys know, he would also move my furniture around too. He re he wouldn't just move the owl; he would rearrange my furniture. But that's a whole different story. Leviticus eleven, everything listed in Levit Leviticus eleven that we're not to eat are all say abomination. They all use the word abomination. Oh, so what does he tell? Um. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 fine. Yeah. I'd have to look at that again because I I thought it really stressed uh, pigs specifically, but it, yeah. All that to say is is that owls are I guess an abomination too. So if you ever consider eating an owl, please don't 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 eat owls. I was just stressing. I don't know anyone who ever does. It is very strange to move somebody's owl around. That's a very strange thing to do. 
And I think they're beautiful animals. I love, I just, every time I hear an owl, I just like, oh, I get so excited. I go out and I look for them. We actually had a, uh, on our house, we're right on the water in South Carolina. And we have a boat like that, that our house opens up to the, uh, the dock. We have a boat, uh, a pontoon boat there. And one time we had these, these, uh, they were mating owls. And, um, I don't know if they ever were successful in mating because they were not getting along. And I have never heard a bickering couple as much as those two owls. And they were just like hooting, like angrily back at each other. And so I went out there and I just watched them and they, yeah, they were not getting along and they were just screaming at each other. Um, I've seen, I've seen like human couples scream at each other like that, uh, but never animals like that. And then, of course, yeah, so Lisa added in here, um, all flying insects that creep on all fours is an abomination. So there you go. There's that. Um, what else do we have here? The Vegas 1113. And these you do abominate among the birds. They are not eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle and the vulture and the black vulture. You need to find me that owl verse <laughs> versus that's an abomination, too. But um so, and then Josh asked, does the law allow for the consumption of any animal which consumes flesh? Um, and I think that that's, that's really, you know, obviously interesting to observe with the animal kingdom, right? Like any kind of predator, uh, obviously any kind of, uh, 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 what, what, um, a scavenger, any kind of scavenger is like hands off, right? Like vultures buzzers that kind of stuff um but it's a, yeah it's the same thing like i i'd have to go down the list i can't think of any um hunter and this is one of the the controversial if you want to get into the controversies of clean unclean foods is people bring up chickens because people who have owned chickens have commented many times that a chicken will eat anything it'll eat it'll peck an eyeball it'll it'll peck at the grain and it'll peck an eyeball right next to it or a liver whatever um and so I kind of feel like chickens are the wild cards there, but uh, generally speaking, it seems like yeah, all the clean animals um, are are herbivores. And I I think I had started out before our broadcast. I took my children to the aquarium, and it was really incredible to see how how wise Yahuwah is in creating this world. And it's so obvious. Uh, I, I I it it upsets me that it took me so long in my life to to really observe what is so factual in front of me of clean and unclean animals. And I, I, so I, I would point to my sons, okay, which of these fish have scales? And they'd say, well, uh, there they are. And I'd be like, well, which of these fish are, are eating the scum off the glass and down on the rocks, you know, eat, you know, you know, picking up the garbage. And they're like the ones without the scales. And I'd be like, that's amazing, isn't it? And it was like all the fish that were, um, you know, you see like all the, the predators, the sharks and stuff, right? Like they don't have scales. Um, so it's just, it, it is amazing how it works. What else do we have here? Isaiah thirty four fourteen, And the wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the jackals and the shaggy goat uh, call to its companion. Uh, that's, <laughs> we've seen that in some references that it actually says, um, uh, it's, it's, a reference, I think, to maybe Pan, um, but to a um, to a, I guess a fawn, 
uh, a dr- uh, yeah, a fawn. But anyways, the night creature shall also set her there and shall find for herself a place of rest. I'm not sure what the context of that was. Um, oh, okay. This, yeah, they, uh, oh, yeah, that's Screeching Owl. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I actually had a whole thing on that on, on Lilith, too, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then we see, again, uh, Isaiah 34.11. So, so that the pelican and the porcupine possesses it. Also the owl and the raven dwell in it, and he shall stretch out over it the line of formlessness and, and stones of emptiness. Um, <laughs> my guess, imagine if chickens were bigger. I know, right? They would peck our, they would peck our balls out. It'd be nasty. Anybody else have any thoughts? Rob, if you want to jump back in here too, it's just me talking at this point, but <laughs> Michael. Did anybody have uh, anything that was uh, expressed that they'd like to talk about? I'm sorry, say that again. Does anybody have any uh, thing they'd like to express or share that was uh, talked about in these two chapters? I have to apologize because I came in so late, but um, just on the topic you guys are talking about right now, somebody has been talking, I don't know if you guys mentioned it, but someone had been bringing up about tuna being questionable. Does anybody know? <laughs> There's a difference between albacore and yellowfin, and, and some are clean and some aren't. I don't know. I don't know. I had tuna today. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is uh, the thought that most tuna, if not all, are, are unclean. But uh, I'm not the expert on that one. Um, Me neither. Today's, today's reading, things I noticed from the Hebrew to the Greek, to the KJV, is, and we've noticed this in um, earlier chapters, that it, they'll, a God instead of L, it will put, no capitalization where in the Hebrew it's capitalization. There'll be was in the Greek and is in the Hebrew, which kind of, again, it's these are subtle differences to, to me are, um, are a big difference. You might just think it's um, just, you know, capitalization or punctuation or a, a the where there are, or an a where the, on the other one, there's no a, um, and so I think that's something I've noticed throughout the readings, these subtle, I would call subtle differences, but I think in the way we think about Yahuwah and Yahusha, it, it changes, it gives us a different image. So I'm sorry that I missed the topic. You're talking about um, translations from Greek to, from, from Hebrew to Greek? Is that what you said? or? Well, yeah, I mean, we're reading from the the... Hebrew Gospel of John, so we're making a lot of connections between the Greek uh, or the Texas Receptus, which is the King James version, uh, with the with the Hebrew, and some things that are omitted, some things are you know slightly different, yeah. and what is stressed and not stressed, and and so on. Okay, thank you. No. Though when you came, though when you came in, we were obviously talking about abominations and um, specifically asking the question uh, what people thought about when a person who doesn't 
here, I'm going to misquote it, but a person who doesn't listen to Torah, even his prayers are an abomination. And that was the context. I think that was the context when you would come into the, the conversation. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's um, in Psalms, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was reading um, Revelation 20 again. Because many of us in the group feel this is exactly where we are. And this is, it all goes down in Revelation 20. And what's interesting is, what well, interesting is again, it says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's um, 2015. And then 21 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And then he saw, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from Yahuwah out of heaven. So what I'm getting here is, for me reading this, it's being very clear. What would be, again, this is the final judgment. This was really like if you're going to, go home with Yahuwah or get tossed in the lake of fire. Do you think this is where people are maybe hesitant or don't want or not really want to recognize this possibility? This is right where we're at. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, is that, you know, that's a reality for every generation, right? That even uh, uh, Sheol gives up her uh, dead and as well as the sea. My wife, uh, Sarah and I were actually commenting today how it's interesting how it gives a separation between the sea and Sheol. And we're like, well, what's the significance of that? Why are, why is the sea giving up some dead and Sheol others? And um, that, that takes us back to, that's a, I guess, a whole different discussion. In the Aramaic Targum, there's actually a discussion, a debate between the sea and the land on who was going to take uh, the the bodies of Pharaoh's armies and the sea didn't want to take it and was actually refusing. Uh, and there was like finally a deal that was struck. But it was kind of interesting because we were reading that going, I was, "Wow, is this like a reference to the Aramaic Targum?" Because where where do we? I don't know. So, uh, but anyways, that that's a little off point. Uh, obviously, like people who died all through history, right? They made bad choices and they're. Sheol, it's dumping everything, right? They're all getting dumped into there. So, uh, but I agree. Well, I, think that, I, I agree. I think that's where we're at in history. We're up to that. We're getting close to that point, aren't we? Where it's uh, Sheol's going to be emptied out and dumped, and death will be no more. No, um, Seth and I were doing a study on the sea, too, and that was really interesting. We just said um, we were noticing that pretty much both times when when the flood came, all they did was rise up. They just rise up to the firmament. The fish didn't die, right? <laughs> it was everybody on the land. The land was cursed. Um, so the sea was protected. Um, and I was looking in, I think a guy at our old Tampa, Shabbat, would, would, he would share that there was two words for create. So like the, the, um, the fish were created from nothing while the animals were created from something that already existed. Um, and then you, you go into the revelation, it's like fire, water and fire don't mix. Those in the sea will be fine. 
eventually they'll be thrown into the lake, like you just said, but there's something about the water. And then you have the Illuminati and they're all into maritime law. And all, there's something to the sea being a protection, at least until they're thrown into the lake. What do you think about that? Well, we had the same observation today about maritime law and laws of the land. That was one of the first things that we came up with. Like, isn't that interesting that it, there's the context of the land and the sea there being thrown in, you know, giving up the dead? Um, I, I, I don't know. But can you go back on that again on on the the creatures from the sea being created and those on the land pre-existing? Can you uh, can you uh, no Add to that a little expert. bit. Yeah, I'm no Hebrew expert, but from what I recall, and maybe Rob can uh, help me with what Tim was saying, but basically, it's two separate words for when he created them, quote unquote. And the guy, Tim, was saying that those in the sea were created from nothing, while those on the land were created from things that already existed. So, probably from the dust, you know, similar to that. Um, but the I, the issue is why is the sea a protection? You know the flood, they were protected. They didn't even have to worry about. It. They didn't even know there was a flood. All they did was have more water in their tank, and they just rose up, right? So, um, hmm. Rob, do you have anything to add on that or no? No, I, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, but I I I, I cannot recall the the terminology. I'll I'll, I'll look it up. See if I can I dig that out. To answer your question, Katie, you ask about what book I was referring to. It comes from the book of Exodus, but in the Aramaic Targum. And I wanted to pull it up, and I'd have to track it down right now. But in the in the passage, so it's somewhere in the range getting close to, uh, was it 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there, chapters, when they're crossing the Red Sea and the, the waters are coming down. After the, the Israelites cross over to the other side, when the water's getting ready to come down, uh, there's, a, there's a big debate where the water wants to, the ocean kind of wants to rebel against, doesn't want to go through and drown Pharaoh's army. And, um, and I don't want to take this out of, out of context because, you know, when I'm live and I'm not reading directly from something, I misquote things, it happens. And, um, and then I hear about it later, but, um, it, it seems to be, there's a, there's a argument that goes on between the land and the ocean about who's going to take the bodies and who's going to be judged for it in the end. And there's other passages where the, um, I've read where the oceans, uh, the waters, you know, they're, it, there seems to be a, you know, a consciousness in creation. I, I did the whole, uh, I wrote that whole paper called the earth is a womb and showing how uh, you know, all the creation seems to be conscious, you know, from, you know, you know, lightning has angels associated with the stars. And, you know, the, the, I show that the firmament itself, uh, according to second Baruch and second Ezra is actually a Ruach uh, that is actually being obedient to the father. So here you see a uh, reference to the firmament literally being a spirit. Um, and you see that the earth and water are separate conscious beings it's there in scripture like we're not taught this stuff but it's there it's i'm not even digging into the extra biblical text i'm just going into uh too much well i guess i guess second Ezra is kind of extra biblical for uh mainstream christianity but um and uh, jubilees and enoch and so on but you know that's that's not too far reaching for the torah community obviously i think most of us have accepted those those books in some capacity 
Rob, what are you what are you pulling up there? You want to explain that? Yeah, these are two two uh, words in in the creation. Uh, we you got bara and asa, and where they're used, you see that the word for create is 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 creating uh, in different areas. You know, created the heavens and the earth, and then when you have a asa, it is uh, making. And whether you want to say making out of making something from from something that's pre-existing or uh, something that is out from nothing, I just wanted to pull up the two different words and where they're used so you can compare them. But uh, Michael, does this help you? What you were asking for on the words themselves? Yeah, that's all of us. Yeah, just saying that there's two separate words and the fish were created and not made kind of thing. So. Yeah, because is, well, is that, that referring to the sea? Yeah, go ahead. Well, that's interesting because also the reptiles um, came out of the ocean. What do you guys think about that? And in connection to the fish versus the, the land creatures. That's no, okay. No. If you don't. Um, are you referring to reptilians or amphibians? Yeah, well, let me, I could turn to Genesis here. Um, give me a minute here, I'll pull it up. Um, obviously, I threw this out there, so I'm going to have to quote it. <laughs> I'm going to have to quote it now. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. You guys can keep talking, and I'll just let you know when I find this. I know it's in Genesis 1 here. Huh. <sighs> I actually had commented on this when we did the um, our Targum studies. So, all right. So on day on day the fifth, and Yahuwah said, "Let the lakes of the waters." The, okay, I'm, I'm reading from the Aramaic Targum. However, um, I think the Masoretic is something pretty close to this. And Yahuwah said, "Let the lakes of the waters swarm forth the reptile, the living animal, and the fowl which flieth." So, okay, so here um, in the Targum, it's actually saying the reptile, the living animal, and the fowl, they're coming, uh, and, and the fowl which fly, whose nest is upon the earth, uh, they swarm forth from the waters, which is kind of interesting. So they don't come from the land. I just thought I'd throw that out there. I hope that doesn't throw a wrench in it, but um, a lot of people don't, don't see that, and it you know, we see these like these these uh, these pictures of uh, of evolution of like you know the fish is swimming along, then it grows legs and it walks out of the water, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not advocating that message, but that's kind of the picture I get there. I get the picture like there's these reptiles; they they come up out of the water. Are crocodiles and alligators considered reptiles? Yes. Well, they come up out of the water. <laughs> Yeah, now that now this here keeping it in mind, it's adding birds. Uh, so like ducks, they whoop, came out of the water, uh, and uh, and but it's it those with nests up, in, you know. So I don't know. It seems like a lot of creatures came up out of the water. The water itself is there's a lot of life, and you know the the water creates life.
or as Michael said, yeah, the power of Yah is represented by water. And it goes back to, again to seeing the power of Yah, water, with the Ruach HaKadosh hovering over the, the, um, the, the face of the, of the deep. I was just going to add that um, something on the flood. When you guys were talking, I forget what, who said it and what it was, but something about when the uh, the seas coming up over the over the mountains and everything, you know, and the the fish all survived. That's kind of hard to do on anything that's not a uh, flat plain with a some sort of walls surrounding it, like a firmament or a dome. What's yeah. going to hold all that water in place? Yeah, um, yeah. Now you're 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 saying the flood in context of like kind of almost like a fish tank, right? Like you're talking about in, in like a solid enclosure, and then it, it fills up with water, right? The water stays in there versus a uh, versus a a ball where water surrounds it all the way around. Is that is that that's what you're saying, right? I think yeah. It was what how, how do yeah. you get a how do you get a ball you know with water rising from where? Yeah, where does it go? Right, the whole yeah the the whole the open the fountains of the deep and open the floodgates from above and well you got to have a container to hold all that. Now I um, back in the day when I just so everybody knows um, I don't technically consider myself a young earth creationist anymore. Yes, I do believe that the 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 current uh, narration of of salvation, the story of humanity starting with from Adam up to uh, the coming down of New Jerusalem of Jerusalem which starts the the eighth day, that is 7000 years. I I'm 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 on that model. I see that all throughout scripture. So from the creation to uh, New Jerusalem that's, you know, completed uh going up to eight thousand years um but going back to this flood thing um i used to when i was a young earth creationist i used to believe that you know on the globe that when the waters came it just it just it moved all the continents around and disrupted everything destroyed everything nothing would be recognizable anymore entire mountain ranges fell and rose and you know just everything right um but I don't. So a good example of that is I'm in the state of Florida. All right. So a young Earth creationist would tell you that in Noah's flood, Florida was created. That um, that the Appalachian Mountains, the like the the residue, the runoff of that, kind of came down and and formed the state of Florida. Which you know, if you were to take like a garden hose and uh, create experiments like that you could create something like that you know out in like a sandbox or the the flower bed where you could see how you know you could splash around a garden hose and it you know creates these runoffs and that kind of stuff um but i don't believe noah's flood did that anymore i believe that um uh that noah's flood is very much like you described it how we're kind of in this big um like cookie jar or you know, snow globe or whatever you want to imagine it. And it was kind of like just, just filled up with water and then it drained. And you would have, and it, so it wasn't as devastational as I formally made it out. So you would have, say, the Great Pyramids. They survived. The, the you know, the, the Sphinx, whatever, survived. We have, you know, monuments all over the world that survived. 
they, yeah, everyone drowned. It filled up. There would have been currents, all sorts of stuff. But um, I, I think that um, this is where when we, you know, get into the mud flood and that kind of stuff, when we're looking at all these different world events, um, I think when we're looking at these geological uh, build, uh, foundations and different things, we're actually looking at the what may have been the creation account or a pre-destruction account, if that makes any sense. That was much more devastational and, and sloping. And it goes back, of course, to the moon map when we look into that. Well, the, the state of Florida is there, um, amazingly. So uh, if the moon map is legit and it predates the flood, then Florida was not created by Noah's flood. Um. I just wanted to, to throw in my thoughts sometimes when I read about the flood and Peleg, the time when the earth was supposedly separated. What if the whole, okay, when in Genesis it says that he brought the earth up out of the water. So imagine if all of the quote-unquote land, earth, is the mountain of Yah, and it was all accessible from every direction. And then when the floods came, it filled in all the crevices up to a certain level, and now we just live in the very highlands part, the peaks that are still left over from the flood that didn't recede. That's what separated the continents, quote-unquote, is the water that's still there. Yeah, I mean, that... That drained it all out, all the earth would still would you'd be you'd be able to access all of the earth and the mountains would be even way higher than they are now. Yeah, that that, that I I don't have a problem with that. Um that's that's a really great thought. Um I had pointed out a long time ago, I might as well bring it up again because things get lost when you don't bring it up in like three to six months. That the the city of Charleston where I'm from and also New Orleans have two things in common. And there might be other cities, I'm not sure, but um, I find it very, very difficult to believe that the designers, the architects of New Orleans, and the architects of Charleston would build a city below sea level at sea level. I find that really hard to believe. Um, and so if you go to Charleston, they have a, a, a wall there to stop the ocean from coming in and drowning out the city. You get rid of that wall, the city's in trouble. And it's the same way in New Orleans. It's like, why would they? Why would they do that? And um, I've often wondered if, if it's when funny because, well, well that's a good ago. question. Good question, climate right? Change. Climate change well, is happening there. Well, that's the thing because when we uh, look look at the, the the idea of rising water, uh, the documented evidence we have from over a hundred years, it hasn't moved like an inch. Like it's the, still the same. But I am curious if pre-mud flood times, if the if the ocean level was lower um, to some degree. I don't know. I can't. I can't prove that. And I think that I won't. I guess take that theory based on two cities. But it's just it. Those two cities are weird. It's really weird that you would anybody would build a city on the ocean below sea level. That just that's weird. Uh, I, I can't explain that. Yeah, I mean, well, New Orleans equals voodoo capital of the U.S. I don't, you know, I don't know how far, I, I can't really take history beyond really 1800 all that seriously anymore. And I, I understand that, like, you know, there was a lot of voodoo there, a lot of 
it's a dark city. Another very dark city is the city of Savannah. It's not as dark as New Orleans, but when you go to Savannah, you, like you feel it. There's a if you don't feel it, then I don't I don't know. Maybe just that person's not in tune with spiritual darkness. But I go to Savannah, and I I feel the the the, the like the eyes pressed on me. Like this is dark. You know, there's darkness there. Um, you know, it, but that thing is, is that that could have all been that darkness could have all come in after the mud flood, right? So, um, and I'm sorry, Tabitha, you haven't done a lot of research, on, I think, on the mud flood. So, um, I don't want to like derail your um, your your comment, but. Anybody else? Yeah, I was I was looking at just now uh, going back to my lizards coming out of the water comment. I was just looking at Genesis one twenty in the Masoretic, and yeah, it doesn't talk about the waters coming, uh, the animals coming out of the water. But it's really interesting. That's what it says in the um, the uh, the Targum that they came up out of the water. You know, you get this picture that they came up out of the land or something, right? Like, I think it like C.S. Lewis and the magician's nephew ratios all the, the animals coming up out of the ground. But here we see them coming out of the water. And, but, you know, that's kind of what it's like for humans too, right? We're, when we're in the womb, we, we, um, we're not breathing oxygen. And, um, you know, you have like these like trap doors in your, um, that's why a lot of babies, I guess, when they come out, they're like gurgling and stuff, right? Because they've got that water and they've got these trap doors that are setting in place and they start take their first breath of oxygen. And so I wonder if it's something very similar like that at the creation where the animals, they come out of the water and they take their first breath of oxygen. Yeah. Uh, Eureka, um, Eureka Springs is, um, I think they have what they, I, I don't know if it's a gimmick or what, but I've been to that hotel. They say it's the most haunted hotel in America. I don't know how you qualify something to be the most haunted hotel in America. That sounds more like a travel brochure than anything else. But, um, but what's interesting too about Eureka Springs is that that is and Hot Springs, Eureka Springs and Hot Springs, that is mud flood city. Like that is mud flood central. And you, and when you go to Eureka Springs, they will even admit to it that they have a city buried beneath. And it's like, well, when did that happen? And that place also has a interesting history. Um, it I was reading about it somewhere. I'm not sure if it's Hot Springs, whatever, but it was one of the tourist capitals back in the day, and they had um, uh, what do I want to say? Bars and stuff, and it was quite the seedy place of America. Yeah, I'm not sure which one. Um... If anyone has has anyone here been to Hot Springs, it's a it it's actually very beautiful. I mean, when we're talking about you know Tartarian Millennial Kingdom stuff, it is a beautiful city. Yeah, and, and they've uh, they've destroyed quite a bit, but it was like yeah. you're saying, it was well appointed. I've been to the Hot Springs in Hot Springs, and it is a beautiful city. I wish I would have known. I was a child when I was there, but. 
you know, I do remember beautiful buildings. No, we were there in um, 2018, and it was very beautiful. But we um, stopped there on our way home in October, and um, it was palatable. Um, we were there later in the day than we had been the first time, so I don't know if it's just a marked difference between your daytime people and your evening people. Um, but all of the shops that were worth anything closed well before sunset, which we thought was strange um, for a touristy area. And um, there were there were people out in front of most of the other places. And um, <sighs> the 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 spiritual. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um, it was just extremely dark and we were much too far away from our car. And, um, I, I really was frightened. It was, um, it was this very strange thing. We, we've decided that we're never going back there again. Um, really? the difference in two years time. I mean, it was just two years. Um, but the difference was, um, it was shocking. It really was shocking. What were the two, you said two 2018, but what was the other year? Um, we went, I think, in, um, so I guess it wasn't 20, it must have been 2019. It was just right before COVID, I think, okay. was really becoming a thing. Um, and then we went this past October, so. Yeah, I could, I, I could see that. I've, I've been to Hot Springs. I only went there in the daytime. I wasn't there at nighttime, but I, I've, I've been to cities where there's that transformation from daytime to nighttime where it's like completely different crowds. Um, sometimes you see that with like, um, like Key West and some of those areas where it's like, you see like kids and or children and parents like walking around and then they're all gone at nightfall and then all the weirdos show up. Um, so I, 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 I could see that, you know, quick, uh, little, uh, trivia is that there is, um, so ev a lot of different States on the PBS channels, uh, they, uh, they have like local discover your state. Um, and a lot of you might know which, what I'm talking about in the state of California, we had, uh, it was called California gold. I think it was, well, in Arkansas, they have another, a guy who, uh, goes around and speaking about his state. I think, um, I think Rick Hummer, who we've had on, I think he did a show like that up in, um, up in, um, in his state in Indiana. But, um, I think PBS has laid him off by this point, but we were there in hot Springs and we went to a, a Mexican restaurant and this was back in 2015 and we sit down to order and this whole, and we're like, we're like there in this upstairs, uh, like garden, outdoor garden area by ourselves. And this, uh, whole camera crew comes and it's like one guy and, and we're like, what's going on? And he sits down at a table next to us and he comes up to us and he's like, you guys are, you know, we were, I was feeding my twin sons. My wife was there and they, my sons were only a year old. And he's like, can we put you guys in our episode? I'm, and I'm like, what are you talking? And he's like, well, we need to do the, the closing credits for the latest episode of like discovering our state of Arkansas or whatever. And, um, and I'm just going to be here doing some dialogue and you guys just eat your food and we'll just put you in the background. And um, it, 
he did he did two takes and i wish he did the first take because he chose the second take and like i was like i think i was like trying to correct my son or something like that he was like acting up and like spitting out his food or something like that and uh but it was kind of funny we like we were on the closing credits of that show so um one of those old gyms um but yeah that was in um that was in uh where were we talking about what's the name of the town um in arkansas uh whatever it was that it was that that cd town as you talked hot about Katie. yeah hot springs hot it was in hot springs yeah, yeah. that was also we bill so Cl- disappointed. that was bill clinton's really, town too we thought we might move there at some point it was so beautiful when we went two years ago and um even the children they they were like we need to leave <laughs> we need to go back to texas when in doubt, run, uh, uh, go back to Texas. <laughs> As I have found uh, in all of our travels that there is no paradise on this earth. There are places like I could, I could choose, you know, we got people here in this room from Canada. We, I, uh, we got people in this discord chat from, you know, Africa and well, weather update and, for a while. Blizzard warnings. Blizzard sure. warnings. Nice. Yeah, top of, the, top of the big island, blizzard warnings. And um, the Chinese rover has detected a cube-shaped object on the far side of the moon. <laughs> Is that really in the news? CNET. <laughs> okay. I'm picking this stuff up. <laughs> in, in the news today, well, I mean, today was pretty comical in the news today. In the news today... Um, uh, was it Omicron or whatever the the Greek letter of the alphabet? Uh, scientists, uh, someone dropped it in our news, and it's legitimate. It's from the MSM, comes from the Washington Post, and they're saying that scientists are saying that uh, Omicron um, shares the same the characteristics as the common cold, and uh, they said that a lot of people are going to be getting it. It's going to be hard to detect because it comes across just like the com- the common cold. And I'm just like, is this like, uh, like we're living in like a, like a farce. Like, it's almost like they're just making fun of like our perceived reality now at this point. So I don't know if you've been seeing all the um, anagrams, I guess people have been finding. If you put Delta and Omicron in the same um, um, anagram, it's, it comes out as media control. The... Um, Delta is a pyramid, and Omicron is the equivalent of the I-N, or the I in Greek. So you've got the pyramid and the I, right? All seeing I in, in the pyramid. And then, um, well, Omicron is the six, 15th letter in Greek, so 1 plus 5 is 6. And on yeah. and on it goes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, too. I, I, the two creepiest things that I've, I've seen is... Um, that Bill Gates actually designed a was part of a design of a um, a video game in the '90s called Omnicron, which the plot was the uh, demons harvesting bodies. And we also see the Omnicron movie that came out in the early '60s, like '62, '63. It was like a B sci-fi movie of aliens actually possessing uh, humans as well, and. Uh, I don't know if that's what what they're going with at this time, but I mean, I think everyone here can sympathize with the you know the demon possession going on right now with all the unclean bodies. Um, that 
yeah, when I saw that Bill Gates was a part of that, and also by the way, David David Bowie, uh, Ziggy Stardust himself, the uh, androgynous alien, uh, <laughs> helped to develop that game of the harvesting of people's souls by demon possession and Omnicron. Um, and I'm like, that that's just too real. That's that's really freaky stuff. Lee, what was that? Uh, Lee, what was that you just dropped in? Just an interesting video that some people might find curious burning Omnicron. Yeah, I saw the title, Crown, Serpent Star, and the um, Ashtoreth. So, is that the same? Is that the same video game? Okay. Uh, I, I think it's the one that you were referencing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I read that um off of uh it was like a Christian prophecy website. They were talking about that video game, but I didn't really look more into the video game than the description they give. Good night, Michael. Thank you for coming by. Looking forward to to uh, joining you next week. Hello, Michael. Katie, what is the new bill that has been passed in the House this week? To answer your question, nobody has been discussing it, so we can discuss it now. I don't know if you follow Corey Diggs. Um, she's done a, another um, report. This, 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 this is one really... Um, Independent investigative um, journalist Corey's Diggs, just that's her website also, and she's gone into the what this infrastructure bill or this new spending bill, and lots of the things that are um, on the inside of it. It's you know if you read many parts of it, it's all in line to Agenda Twenty Thirty in this to push us in that direction. And once again, um, you see that the funding for so many projects or um, programs, it's really, when we look at these numbers like foreign aid, this is like, as she's mentioned um, in one of her podcasts, it's, it's basically slush funds. Most of this money that we see like going for aid or projects or this, this is all, in some ways, in our faces. What we, we could say slush funds. It's like it's not that they, even if they were doing a research or a project, it's like when, I'll just say it like this, when the screwdriver, you know, costs $100 and, you know, the position to oversee screwdrivers is $100,000 a year, you know, so... It's amazing how much we see the numbers, um, and it's just grown and grown over the years, the amount of money that supposedly is there funding these programs in, out there in the world. Um. I can read the short little clip of the bill off for you. It's uh, uh, It says in this section, the term immunization information system means a confidential population-based computerized database that records immunization doses administered by healthcare pro uh, 
provider to persons within the geographic area covered by the database. So I, it's just, it'll be a federally. Can you sum right. that up? The digital, I, basically digital passport, digi digital ID. Hmm. It's going to have everything on it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've been saying it for months. Yeah, the yeah, it's coming. The Vax passport. Mm. I just it's, I didn't know if anyone had seen that that had passed the house this week. So. I hadn't. I, has anybody else seen? It? I I have. I just haven't been following that this week. So yeah, it's two thousand something pages or whatever. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what's in there? That's the other part. Yeah. They don't know what's in there. It's like this is what I'm saying. They could have anything. They they use language that is so. Mm, what do you want to say? Open to interpretation or gray that could basically mean anything. And who knows what or who they're funding? It's yeah. Mike, do you know if it's a done deal? Has it passed the Senate too? No, it, the the Senate it has not okay. um, passed the Senate. But supposedly we already signed by um, um, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, uh, you mean you were referring Biden, right? Like he signed it already. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> That guy is such a like oh man like like I know that they're all actors and everything like that but it's it's painful. I know I thought Bush Jr was bad. Oh, it's pain it's painful how obvious Biden is. Like I have to give it to Trump. He was an he was an incredible actor and he was at times very entertaining and fun to watch. But Biden is just like guys I'm getting old uh you know, I just want to have my ice cream and just, I'll, just, I'll sign what you want. Let's just, let's just get this done. Like, there's just no energy in that guy, and you know, it's, it's pretty painful to watch. So, no, when that happens here, and we have the passports, what does that look like for us as believers? Uh, it looks for us. It means we don't. Well, okay. I'm not a crystal ball, obviously, right? So I don't know right, exactly. I so I don't know what the situation is going to really look like here. Um, what I what I do, what I have come to the understanding of, really, in the last year, is more of how Satan operates and how, as a, uh, what it means to be the Satan, right? On a from a legal perspective. Um, and it has actually strengthened my faith in Scripture that, you know, he, he can, you know, and this goes back to like the mud flood and all this kind of stuff, how people are like, oh, well, the Bible was invented in the 1800s and they wrote it. And it's like, no freaking way. No freaking, like, that he has to, it, he has to give us the truth. He has to. That's how he operates. Because in order to accuse us, he can't accuse us unless if he gives us the truth first, right? He can lie to us about the truth, but we have to have it. We have to have the fine prints. And um, and so when it comes to 
the the passport you know the juice pack all that kind of stuff it, it, it's just like what it is to be a on the laws of the land or the maritime law uh you know a, a u.s citizen versus you know versus whatever terminology um is that i i really believe satan has to give give you a way out like people are going to be jumping onto this because they feel like they have no way out like this is the only way and in a lot of ways it is like if you you know if you want to live your life in the cities of Cain, right? You want to go to the, the ball game and you want to go to the, you know, you want to get on an airplane and travel to the Bahamas or whatever. Yeah. Like we made that made in that, like we don't, we can't do that anymore. Um, but a part of me thinks that like, that if we are um, truly following Yah and our priorities are, being obedient to him and following his instructions and in righteousness that that we're going to have an out in ways that most people can never imagine if that makes any sense only because our priorities are different because we're not now there you know I don't know what it's going to be like going to the supermarket maybe we can't go to the supermarket maybe we're going to be co completely closed off from that um i i think that um but they but what they want from us more than anything is they want us to take it. So they, they're not going to force it. They're going to make it feel like, uh, you know, we don't have it. We don't have an out. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to the quarantine, the camps and stuff like that, which is like the next step in the, the genocide, like, will we be hauled off the camps? I can't, I don't know. That is very well, uh, could be a possibility. I'm hearing those reports in Australia right now that people are vanishing into these camps. Is that our future? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I've heard some people suggest that the FEMA camps may be created for the um, the people that get really sick, which won't be us. Uh, it's kind of an interesting way to think about it. And I'm, again, I'm not a prophet. I don't want to say either way. It's either or, right? Either we're going to be hauled off to them or the really sick people. And I could see both scenarios. Um, you know, it's funny, like the people who are denying the existence of these FEMA camps may be the ones that end up there. Yeah, so. and what's also interesting is that when we the we have examples in the world like China at the moment, and it's I think it's going to be non-debatable that that plan is evil, and how much longer they can spin it as th that the WHO, the CDC, and the World Economic Forum and the UN that they're people friendly, I think that that narrative may be going to fall apart. And if it does, then this whole Agenda 2030 is going to be known for what it is, a satanic agenda. Now, does that stop them from trying to do it? Nope. They're still going to try and do that. But, you know, I have hope in you. Yeah. Okay, so I guess... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I was watching the interview someone did with um, people in Austria after they, you know supposedly locked down everyone that's not vaccinated you can only leave the house for very few reasons and it'll be interesting to keep an eye on what happens there that only supposedly the vaccinated are able to run around and yeah. you know pass pass it on to each other because that's what's going to happen right so when they finally realize that they're oh, yeah. passing the stuff around and getting sick and possibly dropping like flies who knows i mean 
I don't like to say. I, I mean, somebody made the great comment. How and somebody made the one supposedly we have the technology in Hawaii to run the gene se- the gene sequence to know that the um, moronic virus is here now. And it's like once again that that gene sequence that they can run is a computer program, so it's not the actual one. So literally, it's like uh, so you guys are just making up numbers. But anywho, that being a vaccinated person, so Australia is a clean a clear example that you can't come into the country unless you're vaccinated. So how does how did the Omicron get there? So yeah, yeah. the The first person, the first person where it arrived, the first report was in California in the U.S., and he was a fully vaccinated person. And but you know what they're saying now? Now, even within the official narrative, they have like several different narratives just so they could fall back on one of them. Um, which you know makes sense. That's intelligent. Uh, but uh, I someone shared a story today that they're basically saying that with Omicron that like everything you've been vaccinated for, nobody here has been vaccinated I hope but everything that the general public has been vaccinated for that's all irrelevant now because Omicron which is just like the common cold uh you know conveniently in flu season um is is now superseded all that so now everyone's going to have to get vaccinated again for this one I mean that's what I was reading is what they're insinuating um but just kind of like well that sucks <laughs> all those people that got vaccinated just so that it would go away and they thought they were doing the right thing. And it's like, nope, sorry. Well, there's, no, there's no cure for the common cold. So there you go. Yeah, the propaganda is heavy because they've added in this one, besides all the normal ones, they added in heart palpitations and arrhythmias and heart problems now. Yeah, we know two <laughs> people who died of heart attacks in the last uh, two weeks, I think. Yeah, so this is covering from the, you know, immune-compromised um, shot takers. Yes. Yeah, I think we could probably all, I mean, my wife and I as well, like just the people we're encountering just here in Florida, and uh, our home back in South Carolina, wherever we're traveling to, we are meeting more uh, sick people. Now, and by sick, I mean like people who uh, in the last year are having... Uh, heart issues, uh, you know, like uh, leg issues, uh, you know, uh, blotting, all, all sorts of all sorts of issues that are associated with this, and they're all vaccinated, and it's it's getting bad. I mean, uh, like elderly people who are deathly afraid of COVID, they go get the vax, and now they're deathly afraid of dying because they're actually dying. Um, our, our neighbors uh, that we've known them for the last few years here on the beach. Every time we come down, we don't know if they're going to survive the next year. Uh, they're we weren't even su- sure they were going to survive this year. Like they're really bad, uh, and they're, they're they they read the Bible and everything. And they they're Christians, but they they run out and take it because they're so afraid of this. No, this week we also saw um, and some. Some of the families kind of snickering at me, but we saw um, four massive fatal car accidents in um, a day this week around us. Um, And they were all older um, men or women driving. So they're, you know, 55 to 65 and like massive. I mean, like 
like an, an SUV went under two 18 wheelers and completely sliced off the whole top of, of the SUV and all three, you know, elderly do you think, died. Do you think it was a uh, coincidence or just like a heart palpitations that caused it or? I don't know. You, you no. don't know. I, I told my son, I said, I think we're going to see more things like this. Um, as time wraps up, I, I don't very strange yeah. stuff. Um, just down the street from us, a motorcycle. Um, and he was, um, I think 62 and had been driving motorcycles forever and speed was not an issue. And the weather was not an issue. He just went off the road into the trees and died. Um, and I think there were, there was four or five, um, like that. Um, one of them on the freeway was a suicide that caused another chain event of, cars but a wrong way driver well yeah i mean i'm i'm pushing you know forward i'm not i'm not concerned about i know that yah has my days numbered and it's under his control if uh if i'm going to go this next year or you know whenever Mm -hmm. and i haven't said this publicly yet but um i have been invited to speak at zen garcia's conference next may and I hope he does it in May because I'm trying to tell him I'm on the phone with Zen being like, Zen, the world's only getting worse. Like you please don't push this off. Like, and he, he's considering pushing it off to a later date. Cause there's all this concern right now about like, you know, some truthers have been kind of dropping dead recently that, you know, he and I, yeah, he, he and I both believe that, you know, Skiba was murdered and, um, and, but it's like, like I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Like even if there is a murderer that shows up at that conference, <laughs> like right. I know Yaz got my back until the time he's ready to take me, take me out. Um, but there's, yeah, there's seems like there's a lot of uh, just fear going around. It just you know these freakish things that are happening, and I just encourage everyone that like you know put our faith in Yah and, and know that um, that. You know, Death is the. <laughs> this is going to sound corny or cheesy, but death is the beginning of the adventure. It really is. Like, like Amen. there's there's nothing like uh, like we are so afraid of death, and like the reason we were brought here, we were brought here in this this uh, this motionless pl- you know enclosed plane. Uh, in this, in the, the earth is literally a womb. We were brought here to be tested of whether or not. Um, I read this great quote recently. It was by one of the the ancients, um, and he and he said that Yah created the world in such a way that it could be used for good or evil, which is completely true. Like his creation was set up that way. He's like, okay, I'm going to create this for you guys. I'm going to put you here, and you guys decide whether you want to use it for good or evil, right? And and like once we get out of here, and once we die, like that's seriously like the beginning of the adventure. Like I I just want everyone in here like to not fear going to a camp, you know, dying in a freakish accident, being you know if if I am found uh, dead on my bathroom floor. I uh, hope you guys know that probably was a murder. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about it, but. Uh, it's, it's the beginning guys. It's just, it's, I, I can't wait. Like, uh, okay. So in that same vein then, cause you know, Texas, everybody's saying, get your, get your guns, get your ammo. We're not going to be hauled off to a camp. So as believers, 
what should our view be of that? If, if they come to the gate of our farm, do we go willingly? Uh, I, I can't answer that question. Um, that would be completely unfair for me to answer because um, it, it's almost like, you know, we live technically in, in within a city of Charleston, and many in the Torah community have approached me and said, but basically we're living in sin, and that Yah can't possibly speak to us because we're living in the city limit, um, and that we're supposed to flee out to the country and that kind of stuff. And yet, I know for a fact, and I know that other people have told me that they too are called by Yah to be where they're at. And it doesn't make sense, but that's where they're called, and I am called to be there. And it's the same thing with the, 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 the gun debate. Um, some people are going to be called by Yah, I believe, to uh, pick up their cross and follow him, whatever that looks like. All right. I am I am not a I am I'm not with the government. I am not a FEMA pastor telling you to go uh go with with the men who show up at your door. All right. There are gonna be people that are going to uh hold down the fort and they're gonna die in the fort. And and there will be people that Yah will protect and they will get them out of the situation. I can't speak for that because everyone in that moment is going to have to listen to what he says to do. And and in all of our cases, like there could be literally an angel that shows up at your front door and be like, book it, like tonight. Um, my my wife uh, knows that we, we live out of our suitcases. Okay, everything that I need or own, I have a suitcase, except for my laptop, which is like an extra bag. But and she knows, and we have this talk all the time. If I say it's go time, within 20 minutes, we're in the car and we're gone that quick. Um, and so I don't know what I'm going to do in that situation. I can't say. I couldn't answer that. I'm giving a long explanation, but I couldn't say. But I will say this about the gun argument, because I get really tired of the gun argument. I, as I, I've been crossing the country now for since 2007, all right, 2007, I started traveling across the country and I've talked to many people, I've talked to many gun owners and non-gun owners. And the gun owners all claim that they're not putting up with any BS and they're going to, oh, they're going it, to, it's, oh, the revolution is coming. I've been waiting for this revolution to come for 20 years now. It, it, it hasn't, right. it's not coming. And any revolution right. that does come will be broadcast on the TV and it will be run by Intel. I would, I would think that every single, um, I would never trust to join any, um, a local gun club because they're all run by Intel. And I personally don't think all gun owners talk about this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming down on anyone here, but I hear this all the time. Like, oh yeah, if they come for my guns, that's it. It's like, no, you won't. You will hand in your guns. You know how I know that? Because that's what they did at, at Katrina. It, the um, uh, Our own uh, Justin Best was, uh, if you recall, he was there. He was one of the Marines that went into Katrina. And he went in there and they took people's guns away. And he was a part of that. And that and mm -hmm. they, the, the military showed up, said, we need your guns because it's unsafe for you to have guns and defend yourself. And people handed them up and nobody rebelled. So See, I, I, think, I think that's going to be the way too. Cause I mean, just for Texas alone, you know, I was young, but nobody stood up when they knew what had happened with the branch Davidians didn't go down. Right. Nobody stood up in defense of them. We've let all the of this play out. 
by the way, I think that I my personal belief on Waco is that that was uh, uh, a stage performance. Okay, That's yeah, my personal. Uh, I think it was a hoax. Um, whether someone died there or not, I don't know, but I think it was it was all intel run from both ends. And I do say this with seriousness and concern. I've told my administrators this this last week, and it's been on my heart for the last year or two. But I think everybody listening to me tonight should be aware of the possibility that they pull off another Waco, Texas with uh, the Torah community. Keep in mind yeah. that David Koresh, uh, which I think Koresh actually means like furnace or something like that, uh, ironically enough. Uh, get it? He went in the furnace. Uh, but he he was Torah observant. People don't know that. He kept Sabbath. He kept okay. the dietary laws. Um, I and asked that recently and i was told otherwise i asked if that was from some locals here and they they knew him and said otherwise so okay. i'd like more info on that well that's interesting i would like that too because maybe the narrative we're getting is fake which i <laughs> would say it is anyways um but i i just i think that because you you guys know that i think jim jones was was a was a movie set too um, which is kind of sad because I really want to use the analogy of drinking the Kool-Aid because <laughs> Dr. Fossey literally is dispensing the Kool-Aid and people are drinking it, um, which I think that's the whole point of Jonestown. It was just, it was setting it up, you know, predictive programming and all sorts of stuff. But, um, and there was a reason they moved it down to South America because they couldn't pull off Jonestown, uh, Jonestown and say, New Mexico or Arizona because people would show up and see that it was fake. They had to do it in a government, um, like an Air Force zone. Um, do you but, know if even Waco was fake? What was that? Even if Waco was fake, Noel, and, and, but I don't believe the masses know that it was fake. I think they think that it went down the way that it went down, at least here in Texas. Like, people are always grumbling and say, well, you know what went down in Waco? It wasn't right, blah, blah, blah. Well, if that's the case, then why haven't they done something up to this point? And and my argument is always, well, you know, we're going to get guns and we're going to do this right. Well, where are the men whenever I get screamed at in the grocery store because I'm not wearing a mask? There's plenty of men standing around, but they don't defend me. You know, this is unjustified. This is this is not just. Um, so I I also don't believe that people are going to take up arms and there's going to be a revolution and they're going to put down yeah. the tyrannical um, government. I just don't buy it. Right. And and my and my and one of the things I said earlier that may have slipped right past people is that uh, these um, the militias, whatever. Like I think that the the Capitol riot in last January is proof in my mind. It cemented the fact that that even that was an Intel operation. We see the head of the CIA in the crowd, like working the crowd, like, and there were, you know, the, the, there were actors, the, the, the ones that they, the, they were showing on camera, they were actors, all that stuff. And, and there were real people there. There were real people there who really believed they were making a difference and doing something, but they were being led by Intel. And I don't even trust the militias. I, I I would never trust one. I would be like my militia leader, like who are you? Like who you know? Like I would never know. I would never trust Those to take orders from them. Were completely separated from what 
I've been told by somebody who was there. They were, they were what? You, you kind of got choppy. Those two groups were separated. Meaning, meaning the group you're talking about head, headed by the CIA was not even a part of the group that was there that, yeah, so point being, they were they're separate. The one was so polarized the other that the moment the, the genuine people who were there doing what they thought don't agree with why they were there and doing what they were doing, but they sniffed out what was going on from the group that you're talking about, and they separated themselves from what I was told by someone who was there. Now, again, again, I have to, I, 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 I'm not a crystal ball, all right? But if I had to guess what is going to happen, it's kind of like, yeah, there could be an alien invasion. Like, seriously, like, the angels could pull it off, right? I still think that if there's an alien invasion, it will be fake because that's how psychodrama works. That's how performance witchcraft works. I think it'll be fake. But um, I don't think there's going to be an alien invasion because I think that's New Jerusalem, right? They're always inverting everything. And in the same way, we keep hearing about you know the, the threat of China and the threat of Russia. Well, again, we might go to war with them, um, but... I think the situation, again, I'm not Chris Wall, but what I, if I had to put my money down on this, I, I think if China and Russia, they show up, they're not showing up with, to, to kill us. They're coming as our friends. I think that you know, America is going to be in such an uh, area of crisis that it'll be like Hurricane Katrina type of situation where they're going to show up as our friends and they're here to help us. They just won't leave. Um, and so that's how I think that people will passively... I just don't think there's going to be a revolution. I just don't. I would be shocked if there was a real revolution and the gun owners all t team up together to take out the government. It's like, what are you guys waiting for? I'm going to be flagged for saying that just now because I've just incited a revolution. But it's like, really, what, what are you guys waiting for? Seriously, like, if there was ever a time, it's already passed. Like, get with it, people. Um, and it's all part they, of the myth. Like, the, I don't believe that the Americans... would stop that anyway. The, you know, they've got those... Denial of, uh, what is it called? Denial of, uh, you know, where they can literally carpet an area with a frequency that no one can enter. I mean, they've got technology to control crowds. I think the time of that is so far past that we're just deluding ourselves. You pick up a weapon, what you're going to do is get killed or get thrown in prison for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing is, is that, and this is why I'm not giving people advice on this. Like you have a right to defend your family in your home. Okay. I want everyone to know that. All right. Everybody needs to listen to what, not what man says, but what Yah tells them in those moments. Okay. Not what Noel says or anybody else, but it, that's, that's the thing. You, some, an agent shows up at your door, you pick up a weapon, you better be willing to use that and live by those consequences, right? Like, it's it's over at that point. Um, I mean, there's going to be bloodshed. And, um, yeah, that, everyone's got to make that decision. And I I think that that's what's stopping uh, people with guns, because they're waiting for this big revolution when they all come in together. And, you know, rational, knowing the weapons that the government has and the numbers that they have, 
who would you actually be attacking to take over the government? So we're not like, as we've been portrayed in the old days, that you could overthrow a government by, you know, taking over this building, right? That That's now it's like really laughable to go, yeah, they don't need that building. So it's more of who's in control. And this is where it really goes back to a spiritual battle. Well, I think we need to remember that the armies of Yah will fight for us, but we have to be, you know, in the right spiritual mindset. So instead of maybe always mulling over, oh, you know, what could they do? What they might they be planning? What are they, what could be next? You know, we need to be declaring the, you know, the, declaring the truth, declare what we want, declare the kingdom you know, and, and put those frequencies out there because really their voices, their ideas, they, there's really no power behind them, but that's why they, they, they put them out there right. for us to talk about it and mull it over. Yes. Talk, we're giving it power. We're empowering so, their ideas by giving it voice because we are the ones right. with the power. So we need to so be declaring me, the righteous thing and the godly thing and what we want to establish 100%, for the kingdom. 100%. Right, because as I was referencing Revelation 20 earlier, if you look at it, it's only a few verses. He's let loose, and then Yahushua comes. And so, and then it's all she wrote. He's thrown in the lake of fire. This is going to happen so fast. So knowing Yahuwah wins, I'm like, guys, last time I checked, all this stuff that we're talking about that necessarily we might have to go through already happened pre-millennial kingdom, many of this. Now we know this is a repeat of the plan. We know the agenda. They they print it. They put it out there. They don't hide it. Doesn't mean it's going to come to fruition in my book. And just like you were sharing, I give, I focus more on the kingdom and his power to, again, it's throw the, when we think about it, to really deal with evil here, this is where I'm like, yeah, unless you do away with all of it, and that's what I think is going to be done, that's why Revelation 20 resonates so strongly with me. That was a really good discussion tonight, guys. I really enjoyed us, that. Right? He's deceived us. That's not a question. He wants to kill us, enslave us, corrupt us. Um, we know that he'd like to, what, you know, in the name of so-called um, good, what they'd like to do to us. And this is what I'm saying. How much is that going to be allowed to happen? And if we have our say in counting on Yahuwah, um, I'm not saying that certain things um, won't happen because they are happening, but I have stronger faith in in Yahuwah changing this world for the better than than evil triumphing at all. And again, it isn't to the will of the people; it's to the will of Yah. 
I will be. I, I think I will be trimming. This is a really great discussion. I'm going to see how much I can get away with, uh, Josh. But I, I think I will be trimming the part where I incite a revolution. Um, <laughs> that's all I need for my FBI agent to see. It's like we got him. We've been waiting for him to do that. Now we could finally come in and get him. I've just kind of resigned myself to putting it all in Yaw's hands. I mean, believe me, I, I am absolutely one that's always been for gun rights. I've been a gun owner. I used to pack. You know, Arizona's always been an open carry state. I I carried for a long time. And, and finally, you know, I, I just, I don't even have one in my house anymore. Um. <sighs> I'm only going to get myself in trouble with it, you know, um, and I have used one to stop, you know, so there, there, there was a time somebody came in through my kitchen window and I was there all alone. And thankfully I hadn't done my dishes before I went to bed. I was too tired. It was one in the morning and I was alone in the house and I heard dishes rattling in my sink and the house is dark and I get up wow. and creep out with my gun and, uh, I see a leg coming in the window and I flipped the light on and point the gun at his head. And I told him he had one second to get out of the window before I blew it off. And he did. And he dropped his knife in the sink. And, you know, so when I was younger, yeah, I, 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 you know, now I would just beat him to death with a lamp or whatever comes to hand, you know, but I mean, as far as a revolution, I just don't ever see that happening. I mean, if you can't get people not to put stuff in their bodies that's going to kill them, you know, over the threat of something like a virus, how do you expect anyone to actually come and stop this government? I mean, this evil thing has been in the works for, well, probably since the very beginning of creation, since we know who's behind it. So I think it's just coming down to the way it's, I mean, Revelation said what it was going to be. There's going to be a mark. Great and small will have to accept it if they want to do anything. You know, I, I believe that there's a way out somehow, and I'm just trusting in that. And I, I'm just, I mean, I'm not even really prepping because I live in a desert, and all they got to do to kill me is cut off my water to where, you know, 115 in this heat, no water, you're dead in a day or two. Um, every time we have a, uh, you know, every time we get up to 117 or 118, there's someone that dies. You know, you'll hear on the news, some elderly person died literally from overheating, and, you know, so, and I feel the same way you do. I don't know why I'm stuck in this desert, but this seems to be where he wants me. He provided somewhere for me to be. Um, my needs are taken care of. And even though I want to be elsewhere, I just feel like for whatever reason I'm here and it's going to be what it's going to be. And all we can do is trust in him. Yeah, that's, that was really good. Um, you know, a couple things on, on revolution really quickly here is that, you know, my thoughts, of course, and this is, is I, I don't, I don't really know if 1776 happened or not right like this is i can't say either way yes i believe the mud flood probably happened afterwards at this point it could have happened beforehand but i think it happened afterwards but i uh, let's just assume that we are being lied to about many components of 1776 but what if it you know there is something esoterically and exoterically true about it like the formation of the illuminati maybe it was a rebellion really against the kingdom 
um, any number of things. But the, the 1776, as it's told to us, I believe it, yeah, my conclusion is that it's a hoax. Um, but the, the American Civil War is really interesting because now that I live in the South and I'm, you know, I actually live on the property of the oldest house in South Carolina, according to the official narrative, on an old rice uh, plantation. And I hear people talking about, you know, glorifying the Confederacy. And, oh, they wish the Confederacy had won. If the Confederacy had won, it would be so different today. It would be swell, you know. And and I, I could sympathize with them. I really can. I mean, they, they bring up, you know, they, they'll do the whole thing about, you know, the how it, the, the narrative we hear about slavery has been flipped and inverted, just like the Holocaust, how, you know, it was actually the South that outlawed uh, the selling of new slaves, but it was the North that was bringing them in. They were bringing in the slave trade, all this kind of stuff, right? And how the the North, you know, the the, the they were putting in the 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 uh, it was called the federal government for a reason, right? The 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 Federal Reserve, and they were they were implementing that. They were you know selling everyone into you know they were ending uh, private slavery, but uh, instituting corporate slavery. All these things, right? But the thing is, is I try to get in their heads, and I can't get in their heads. It's like even if the Confederacy won that war. If if Rome or whoever had decided that they're going to be the winners, it would still be the B system. Like you can't escape it. Like there, there's no situation. It's not like it's not like the Second World War. Like oh, we beat the B system. Oh, we took out those Nazi and the Japanese and the the Italians. You know, and the and the beast was destroyed and America won. It's like no, no, no. Like this is what I've beast- said to the Hawaiians. I'm like, so you guys get your country back, and you got your flag. What system do you think you're still in? Yeah, you can't escape it. Maybe there is really a little private. Uh, there, there probably is land somewhere that's headed. Maybe there is some land somewhere where I can go to and be untouched by by the B system. But I don't know at this point. Yeah, I think you got to go over the North Pole to get to it. <laughs> Got to take those Elvish ships uh, on the straight road that is only found on a flat earth map and not a globe map. I think that's what the only way to do it. Well, guys, on that note, it is uh, just so everyone knows, I am getting up early in the morning. I'm taking my wife and children on a field trip to two star forts in uh, Pensacola. Uh, either one or two. I don't know if we'll make two, but I'm really looking forward to doing a little mud, uh, hands-on mud flood research. And uh, my Thursday nights, I'm hoping to... It, obviously, you know, the people have spoken and what people really want is the mud flood right now and his his story. And so I'm going to be trying to devote more Thursday nights to exclusively trying to work out the kinks and try to figure out if the Millennial King, you know, how the Millennial Kingdom looks and and shapes in there um and so hopefully i can you know maybe i'll do one on star forts um upcoming week but anyways that's what i'll be doing tomorrow i gotta get up early and it's uh about almost 11 30 here so i'm gonna be i really enjoyed this conversation i loved hearing you guys talk um let's do this again <laughs> i'm always excited when you guys um uh, show up so we'll do this again on thursday night and then next sabbath and it was uh, fun talking with you guys so you guys uh, you have fun. Keep shalom. yeah. Shalom. Night, uh, shalom, everybody. You guys feel free. Maybe I'll I'll be up at six a.m. and see that some of you guys are still here. It has happened before, so I think maybe people fall asleep and leave their computers on or something like that. But um, all right. Good night. Good night.